Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome to the program. The program is called The Jeff Gerstman Show. And this week I will be hosting the program. My name is Jeff Gerstman. And uh, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. This is a video game podcast. Uh, Video games uh, are a thing that happened last year and this week. And that's it. Uh, and then that's it. Video games are over. If you read, if you, I don't know if you read the news, but it's, that's it for video games. Uh, two years of darkness. No, um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting, uh, week in, in the news. We'll, we'll get into some of the stories that have been going around about kind of where that stuff is at. I, I've, I find all of that really fascinating, uh, to, to read and, and, and it reminds me anyway. Uh, we'll get into it when we get into it, but, uh, yeah. Hey, what's going on? It's, uh, it, it has been a, a release as a strange week for some new releases over the last, uh, handful of days here and all, all sorts of stuff. I have been kind of holding down the fort. Um, you know, the, the daughter gets sick wheel keeps on turning and, uh, they're upstairs snotty and gross, but here we are. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, uh, I was told by someone, uh, I, I asked a, a handful of, of people, it's like, man, when does this like kid getting sick thing stop? And I got answers ranging from, uh, well, it's the worst in January and February, which is, is I'm, I'm sure is true to like, uh, about halfway through first grade. Uh, one, one Will Smith said, oh yeah, uh, when the pandemic started and we had to pull our daughter out of school, that's when it stopped. Like, oh, oh man. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, they're, uh, they're just getting each other sick again. You know, if, if the, if the baby didn't have her breathing problem, it, who, you know, it'd be like, whatever, it'd be like, ah, kids got the sniffles and they'll stay home and they're, they're like, cause they're in good spirits. It's not like they're like laid up going, Ugh, you know, like they're bouncing off the walls going bananas. My wife bought my daughter a, uh, we just, I, we just gave it to her cause she was a good girl while she was sick. And, um, it's a Rapunzel themed bow and arrow. And I'm looking at it going like, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun and a lot of stuff's going to probably get broken. And there's, there's going to be tears involved in this, but uh, until then, this is going to be a whole lot of fun to be shooting a bow and arrow around the house. But, uh, I'll probably get more out of it than, than she will. I don't know. She, she's been weirdly focused on, a, on bow and arrow stuff lately. The year of the bow is back. It's 2024. Turns out here we go. Um, yeah, baby's first weapons. My son, he's not really, you know, he's two. Uh, my, my oldest is four and and is in love with that bow and arrow right now. Uh, but my son at two, he's not really, he's not really weapon based just yet. I don't know. He's a, he's a, he's a lover, not a fighter right now, but I'm sure at any moment, at any moment that switch will flip and he'll just be like, let's break shit. And I'm like, Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to be the father that sets a bunch of stuff on fire because the kids think it's cool. That's, I probably shouldn't. I don't know. My, my, uh, my dad was that dad for a while. And then I think he almost set the neighbor's house on fire one fourth of July. And then, uh, and then after that, he kind of was just like, (laughs) 
and then we never had cool fireworks ever again. Um, <laughs> which at the time was a bummer, but now I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, what's going on in video games? It's bootleg Pokemon. That's, uh, all anyone seems to be able to talk about. It's shattering records all up and down steam. It's called pal world. Uh, it's out in early access. Um, I, it, it's barely, I, 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 uh, I think it's fucking boring as hell. Uh, it seems like a very boring, a very, very average survival game. Um, like, you know, it's, it's literally you're punching rocks and trees to get sticks and stones and, and, and building bases and, and doing all of that. Uh, but, but you also, there are animals, like there are cute little animals all over the landscape and you are able to capture them in balls and then you are able to call them out of the balls and make them fight each other. Or you can bring them back to your base and put them to work in your base. And, uh, that's mostly what I've been doing is, uh, I've got like a chicken and two sheeps and a cat running around my base collecting resources uh i had to build them all beds i had to build them a a a a feed pit where their food goes um anyway there's there's been a lot of discussion around um around this game because the of the the pokemon like qualities of it and uh video games chronicle has an article kind of they went in and talked to some modelers and animators and stuff like that because the, the what there's a lot of people throwing a lot of accusations in the direction of pal world because of its uh very pokemon like nature um it is not a role-playing game it is not a you know it is not a turn-based rpg you, you know there, there's the the like that aspect of the game it, it's all in real time and so you are calling your monsters out of these balls and you are commanding them to fight on the, like you click the right stick and, and, and say fight aggressively. And then they'll just go out and kick ass. And then as an, an enemy animal gets beaten up, they become more susceptible to be captured. So you can then throw another ball at them to catch them. And you know, it's the, it's the, it is ostensibly the mechanics and concepts of Pokemon like directly, but you know, it's, 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 uh, well, I'm not going to say it's legally distinct, um, but it is a very similar aesthetic in, in a handful of ways. And so it's led to a lot of armchair lawyers being like, well, I don't know. But like the, the thing that kind of got me going is, is in this video games, chronicle.com article, um, they spoke with modelers who looked at like, basically like looking at the models in the game and how proportionately they are directly comparable to models in Pokemon. Uh, I believe like Scarlet and like the, you know, one of the more recent ones, I believe. Um, and then talking to modelers who were then saying like, Hey, I like, like sometimes we're working with our own assets and getting that thing to line up from like one game to its sequel is damn near impossible so the idea that these models are this similar 
means that if they didn't rip the models and modify them directly, then they may have just traced over them. You know, like like that. There's like kind of potentially some um more direct form of copying going on, um, which I think is interesting. And you know, of course, they're the the, the developers who also developed a game called Craftopia um are like no um i think that's kind of shitty behavior but at the same time i don't you know like if i think if you wanted to make a pokemon homage a pokemon parody whatever you want to call it whatever you want to hide it behind like i think that like that's a a a very well-worn you know like whether it's digimon and, and you know the other ones that have gotten out there are um, doing more of their own thing. I mean, D- Digimon is less of a Pokemon ripoff and more of just like, ah, oh, this thing kind of came along at the same time. It's, you know, it's Transformers versus GoBots. It's, you know, it's stuff that you go like, oh yeah, these are similar things, but not, not directly similar. Whereas some of this model stuff, it's not quite smoking gun territory because I don't know, you know, unless you're a professional modeler and then maybe you can look at it and, and have a, a more informed opinion. But I look at it and go like, Okay, yeah, it's not about the designs. It's not about like, oh, look at that. That looks like exactly like this Pokemon. It's more like these legs are literally like save for this little modification here, this little modification here. It looks like they took this and turned it into this in some weird way. Um, and that's a different thing, right? Um, yes, of course, yes, Dig- Digimon. As I was saying, I was like, I think Digimon came before Pokemon. But anyway, you 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 get what I mean. The the number of different monster raising clones or or monster raising games that kind of came around, whether it's your Dragon Quest monsters or you know, even Monster Rancher at some point is um you know not entirely uh, outside of that realm, like that just became a, a hot concept for a while. Pokemon was the one that had anime backup behind it. It blew up real big worldwide. It's uh, it's very big. This Pokemon, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, they, it's Pocket Monsters. It's what it's short for in Japan. They like to shorten. So Family Computer. Uh, they don't like to say all that out loud, and so instead they say Famicom. And pocket monsters. Who has time to say the words pocket monsters all, all the time? Pokemon. Done. Done. So, Pow World is, is that, like a lot of the discussion is around like, is it legal? To which I say, who cares? You're you're not Nintendo's lawyers. You're not the Pokemon company's lawyers. They have lawyers. Will they take action on this potentially? Potentially, if, if they think they have a case, but I think if you look at it, like, you know, the idea of you, you made something that like, there are so many other things that, that I think are doing the idea of like, oh yeah, we got this monster. We put it in a ball. We call it out, whatever. Like, you know, there's just enough kind of similar stuff out there in that realm that I doubt you could really hang it legally for those reasons. It'd be the same reason why they couldn't hang ladybug for being a Pac-Man clone back in the day, you know, it's like, do you look at it and go like, did they look at this again? I think if there's going to be a lawsuit and I'm not a lawyer yet, these night classes are going to pay off though. Then you'll all see. Um, 
I think if there's going to be any sort of uh, lawsuit around this stuff, it will be around the models. It will be around the idea that, like, hey, these models are litigiously close to the real thing in a way that makes it, you know, that that's like a pretty clear like thing that they can hang a lawsuit on, that they can try to say, like, hey, not only is all this other stuff suspect, but we've got this, and if this is the hinging thing, then then maybe they'll maybe they'll try to go after it. But like, I, it just, I don't know. If anything, that game is also Breath of the Wild. <laughs> like, it's got the climbing of Breath of the Wild, the stamina meter, the like world boss with like name and life bar, and there's so many presentational things about Pal World that are like super fucking breath of the wild. Um, or, or Hey, I guess it's just, it's super craftopia, which is super breath of the wild, you know, like it was maybe one layer removed. They can just say like original idea, do not copy. Um, and, uh, and see how that goes. But, um, you know, Hey, I ain't the cops. The cops will handle that stuff one way or the other. Um, and I, I look at it and go like the, my, I think my problem with it is it's, I just don't think it's a very good game. I think that as far as like a survival game, um, a survival crafting game, it feels like it's just leaning on like the, this kind of like Pokemon gimmick. Um, and the game itself is super fucking bare bones and, you know, there's a world to explore. Like it kind of just like is like I don't know. There's the towers are the key. Get out there, and you can you can pretty much run around wherever, make a base, do your thing. You need to level up to unlock things on the tech tree. Like you can't make houses at first, but then you can eventually put down prefab parts and you know make a bed. So when it gets to be nighttime, you can sleep, and then you can murder fake Pokemon uh, sheep's to get wool, and then uh, mod that into cloth and then use cloth to make armor, and then you won't get cold at night, and so you can run around at night, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it is it is very much like that type of, like, tech tree in terms of, you know, making beds for your animals and getting more rocks and getting more sticks and getting more of this and, and, and getting more of that. Like, it's... Um, it just feels very bare bones. It feels very... Uh, I mean, it's early access, right? So, and it and it feels that way for sure. I guess is what I would say about the the crafting and the the base building and and all of those things. Like, uh, it just it it's it's lacking in nuance, and it feels really just like, all right, plop this shit down. Now what? I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, you could go catch more pals. In into in your in your balls, you could go put more pals in your balls, and uh, if they're like you can capture like the, I'm I'm at a point now. It's, it's still pretty early on, um, where it's like you can capture the same pal up to ten times for an XP bonus, and it's like I'm not gonna fucking go capture ten of the same fucking creature. I only need like one. I only need two, honestly, because you can build farms. And have them generate offspring. That's what we're calling it now. You want to... Hey. <clears throat> what up, girl? You want to generate some offspring? That's what I... That's uh, that's how it happened for me. Um, and... Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's funny that you can have the animals and they got guns. That's 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 the draw, right? But anyway, like, like I I assume that's the draw. Meanwhile, it's it's a game that's got over a million concurrence on Steam, and it's like something like the sixth game to ever do that, which is insane. Um, they have sold something like five or six million copies here in the first handful of days. Um, it is definitely the game of the moment. It is it is the game that everyone is suddenly talking about. Um, I think the you know the anime style of your player characters, and I think the you know the 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 basic look of the pals, I think is not bad. Um, you could say, hey man, they're they're all ripped out of Pokemon, and I say, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know what. Sometimes, like you know, it's an anime sheep. I don't like sure. Yeah. I mean, this, this one looks like a fat Pikachu with a gun. Like I get it. Like it's not, I'm not denying that, but also <sighs> who cares? <laughs> like, um, it's got multiplayer. And so uh, on PC, that means it's 32 player, uh, over on Xbox. I think it's limited to, so on, on PC, you can run a dedicated server and, the dedicated servers can support up to 32 players, but if you're running like a a listen server, if to use the parlance of 40 or 30 years ago, whatever, um, it's only four player. And so I believe on Xbox, since you can't run a dedicated server on Xbox, you're limited to four players. And um, it's janky. You see little bits and pieces of like rust like elements in there where you're like, you're putting passwords on your door of your base and, and, uh, and your chests and stuff like that. So that other players can't just come along and open them. Um, and so there's, there's little bits and pieces there that you, you look at and you see like, okay, this, this feels like it's coming out of other survival games as well. And so, you know, it's a pastiche of shit that they stole like every other video game on the planet is. Uh, is this one a little more direct than those? Sure. Is this one a little more blatant than most? Absolutely. Uh, does that make it illegal? Personally, I doubt it, but we'll see. Um, at the end of the day, I, I just, I, I wonder how long this is going to last. Like, like this game is like fucking massive right now. It is. Yeah. What it is? Yes, it is, is. Is is it the biggest game ever on steam charts? Is that we'll go look, we'll go look 1.36 million players currently. Their peak is 1.6. Uh, it is almost double. Well, it is in the neighborhood of doubling the numbers of Counter Strike Two right now, and I will grant you it is ten thirty in the morning, which is not always uh, Counter Strike o'clock. Uh, but that's a lot of people to be playing a game on a Tuesday morning. One point three million like that. So the point that you look at it and go like, is there a? Are they? Is someone juicing the numbers? Is like probably. I don't want to. I'm not. I don't want to accuse. That's not. It just seems like a lot. 
it just seems like a lot. Um, and yeah, I, yes, exactly. It, it's, it's, it's a fun time stream video game, I suppose right now, especially about it's the game of the moment. Um, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know what to make of it other than, you know, I, I think that all of the talk about lawsuits and everything is, is just driving more interest in the game. And so it's become this weird, perfect storm of this kind of, you know, this here's, here's this survival game, which those games tend to stream. Well, it's got these Pokemon elements in it, which everyone will at least want to see. I think you should take, I think you should take a look at it. Personally, I think you should uh, you should watch a little video of it and 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 or you know watch a stream of it and just get a look at this game in motion because it's kind of crazy and um and I don't uh, I don't know where it leads. It just doesn't seem like like it, it's it's a game that has inspired such a large number of players that I've seen multiple people across various various monitors on my desktop saying like, well, I guess I got to try this thing. And then trying it. And so that is then continuing to fuel the numbers and the interest and all of that other stuff. Is everyone's just like, I, yeah, we should, I can take a look at this fucking thing. That's, I mean, that's how, that's how it happened to me. And I was like, yeah, I guess I got to look at this thing. And so I played a, a little, you know, a couple hours of it and, um, and looked at the bottom of the tech tree and saw what kind of where it was going and, and, and just kind of started. Eventually I just left the, my base behind and said, fuck it. I'm going to just run for it and find some more fast travel points and, and look at some other stuff. Like it's, it's just, I just don't think that there's all that much of a game there in terms of like you, you know, I, I think if this is early access and this is their first release, um, then I, I think that they could get to a point with it where it, it's got a lot going on. It just feels very shallow right now in terms of why would you, why would you capture these pals? Why would you capture 10 at a time? What's the best, like the, the, they should do a better version of their Pokemon ripoff. Honestly, the, fire type versus grass type like 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 the the elements of attacks that you have at your disposal and so on and so forth that you know because it's a lot it's a it's a real-time game it doesn't feel like it's as much of a uh like the, the combat feels very thin i don't know the game feels feels very mindless in a lot of ways though it's funny to I felt bad about it, honestly, the second time I, I, the more recent time I did it of, um, uh, punching a sheep to death. <laughs> I was like, this sucks like this. I feel bad about this. I meant to capture it, but I punched it one too many times and killed it instead. And then a mutton chop flew out of it. I'm like, well, I guess I'll feed that to my other sheep. And, uh, and then that happens. So I, you know, it has its simple charms, I suppose. And there's like hints and elements to it that you're like, oh, is there, hmm, there's, there's, is there more going on? But you know, you'll, you'll occasionally find like a, a little story item or like a little, a journal, uh, or a treasure chest or a key and go like, this opens locked treasure chests. And you're like, oh, there are, there are locked treasure chests. Ooh, but it's, um, I don't know. Ultimately, the action feels feels just very bland. 
um and and looking later on in the skill tree to see what's there like it just i'm not feeling a drive to really dig into it it seems like the thing that you would do is you would get a bunch of players together and you would all try to play on the same server right i mean that's you know when people put up their their own community rust servers and 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 all of this sort of stuff like that's always the thing right um and then maybe you go raid other bases and fuck shit up you know maybe that aspect of the game is is where the meat of it is right now but um Yes, a handful of people in the chat have also pointed out that, like, hey, by the standards of the crafting, like, survival game genre, this game is downright polished and deep compared to some of the bullshit that has come out over the years. Um, and yeah, no, that, that's that's a that's a fair point. There are a lot of fucking terrible early access survival games that have come out that have not even been like a fifth of this game. Um. So I take that how you will. Um, I, but I, but I, in its current form, it just doesn't, I feel just like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really that interested in, in playing this thing as is. It's more just like, well, I would potentially come back to this if it was fleshed out better, if it was a little more entertaining, if if there was just a little more depth to the action, and and if there was just a little bit more going on in the world. Um, but you know, the early game is also the early game, so so what are you gonna do? Um, a lot of people in chat mentioning. Uh, Valheim. Sometimes, sometimes I think about reinstalling that. But what I did reinstall instead is Terraria, which b- briefly came up last week, and I loaded it up, and my character was still there, and that motherfucker can jump like four times. He's got balloons. He's he does, takes no fall damage. He does it like like my Terraria character is fucking good to go. To the point where, like, I, I opened it up and I was like, I, "Oh man, I don't. I should probably just start a new character because this feels too. Like, I, I feel like I have too much gear. Like, I am too geared up. Every sword I have generates light and shoots fucking fire or something. And I'm just like, oh, this is. I and and I don't have. A, I was on a multiplayer server, and that server's long gone. So, like, I have on my local world." is like an hour in or something of just like, I don't know. I built a couple houses and there's like two people living in, in the, in them and all of that. And I'm just like, I'm looking at it and going like, I don't, I don't know that I want to go like beat Terraria again, but sometimes you just want to dig. And since that lady on TikTok got shut down for digging under her house, like maybe, you know, you know, maybe I just need to be digging in Terraria. Um, I guess the thing about Terraria, I I don't know. Not everyone feels this way, obviously, because the game is still Terraria is still a big game. Um, though, is it getting its actual for real last update this time? How many times has Terraria had its last update? Uh, but uh, but I definitely there was like an element of like you kind of can't you can't go home again. Um. Yeah, I could see where Starbound ended up. I don't know. I, I I tried to get into Starbound a handful of times, and at first I was like, this is really great. And I was like, this is not fleshed out enough. I will wait for it, for it to develop further. 
And then every time I came back to it for the first year or year and a half or so it was out, it just never, never really did anything for me. Uh, it was like Starbound is is like a handful of cool ideas, and then also it just isn't nearly the game Terraria. Maybe it is now, and you know it's been a long time since I've looked at it. But like uh, Starbound, I felt like had a ton of promise, and I I never it never got its hooks in me the way that Terraria did. Not a single time, unfortunately. So, um, but maybe maybe that's the answer. Maybe not. Maybe playing Terraria is not the answer because when I launched it, I was like, "Yeah, I, I did play a lot of hours of this." We, you know, that was the that was the game where I, you know, we had a multiplayer server running, and then when someone would log out, we would just fuck up their entire house. We would just like, like I don't know, let's go flood this guy's house with lava. So when he logs back in, it's all broken. That was that was Terraria for me. We had a good time. That was more fun than beating the game. Like there are objectives and things you can do in Terraria. There are bosses you can defeat and all that sort of stuff. And that's that's all fine and good. But just building and digging. Building some cool shit. Fucking up your friend's stuff because they spent hundreds of hours building it. And you're like, check this out. We burned it. Like, no, we're not going to back up the server. And then, no, this isn't, we're not going to give you your shit back. No, no, we burned your house to the ground. It's gone. It's lava now. Enjoy your lava castle. Um, and then eventually we all stopped playing. Uh, and, and I went on to play a bunch of single player after that. And uh, yeah, and Terraria is, Terraria is a hell of a game. You know, this is a hell of a game with uh, a caveat for me personally. Prince of Persia, the Lost Crown. Um, feels like a very well-made search action game. Uh, it is it is an exciting... You know, I played this game back in June and, and put up some footage then. And then I, I played the final release last week. And there's footage of that up on YouTube now. Um, I like a lot of things about that game. It is... Maybe there are there are aspects of that game that I think could be done better, but they also give you the ability to adjust a lot of the the damage in and out variants, the the variables, the numbers. You can tweak those. You have some custom difficulty options there, and, and instead of just like set it to easy, you know, you kind of can individually set like how much damage they take, how much damage they do to you, um, the parry windows, and some of that other stuff. You can. You know, you, you can make adjustments to that. Um, and I think by default on normal, uh, it's the, the, it, it changes over time as you spend a little bit more time with it, you know, you kind of get a little bit more powerful and, and, and so on and so forth. You do end up kind of overcoming this a little more naturally, but like out of the gate, the enemies take so many hits to go down to the point where it's like, this is just in the way like this combat. And, and, and in a lot of cases, the combat feels a little overly challenging in a couple of spots early on. Like they, they build a combat training into that game, but then tuck it away in this weird upper corner that you might not make it to until after you've done a whole lot of combat. Uh, it's not something you see in the first five minutes. 
it's a little deeper in that there's like there's a guy that's just like hey man you want to do you want to do some combat shit and you're like i've kind of been doing some combat shit but okay and then you go through that and you're like okay there's a few more things about this game that i was not aware of and and now you know you know i'm, I'm a little bit better at the combat but there's there's interesting um mixes of enemies because the enemies in prince of persia the lost crown takes so many hits to die at first when you get three enemies thrown at you and they are different types of enemies with different types of attacks and they're all attacking you at once it is very easy to get overwhelmed um it's very easy to just end up dying and going like shit what the fuck you know it's like the guy with the axe was running at me while the guy with the shield was a guy with a shield so it's like i you know he runs past the guy with the shield and then attacks me and then you're like ah fuck like there are just a, a few annoying things like that about it that that I feel like make it worth adjusting um like some of those variables like like adjusting the damage numbers yourself and just going like fuck it man um let's just have a good time <laughs> um and uh yeah, you know, so, so the story of it is, you know, you're you're part of this crew of like seven badasses and the 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 prince of Persia, the titular prince of Persia is kidnapped and you got to save him. They take him to this uh mystical mountain uh where there it's full of time loops and your character is just bone just stupid. Just like a walking rock. Because all of the cutscenes in the early game are you encountering weird things that are like time distortions or like characters who are like, I've been here for 30 years. And, and then your guy's like, we just got here yesterday. What are you talking about? Over and over again. Like they're trying to really drill into you this idea that time flows weird in, on the mountain. But instead of just coming out and saying it and your character going, oh, time flows weird. Instead, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I found this bow on a corpse. Anyway, I thought this was your bow. And he's like, no, I have my bow. And the other guy's like, oh, oh, well. Oh. Uh, like the the lack of your character putting anything resembling two and two together at any point in the early game. It's like, just, it's, it's despicable. It, it makes me feel like, it, you know, it, I feel two ways about it. One. I feel like, man, you guys really think I'm fucking stupid, don't you? If you're going to hit me over the head with this over and over again. And then two, man, this is Ubisoft. It's not just, I, I, I bet that they focus tested the shit out of this and discovered that most of the people playing the game could not wrap their minds around what was going on. And then they went, all right, well, let's hit them over the head with it and make sure it sinks in because it's a pretty important point to get. Let's make sure they get it. And I was like, oh, man. Shit. Maybe we really are that dumb. I, everyone is about something, right? Everyone can be boneheaded. You know, it's, it's so easy to miss stuff in a game. And, you know, phone rings while a cutscene is playing. You miss the three words that make everything make sense. And then you're off to the races. And you're like, oh, fuck. But um, but I found it particularly egregious in that game. Um, but as a search action game, I think it flows pretty well. You know, you have uh, some pretty good moves. Uh, the boss fights have the potential to be a lot of fun. For me personally, 
that is where the game breaks to the point where I have not spent as much time with it as I would have liked um, because it relies on colors to tell you uh, if an attack is blockable or not. Basically, if there's a yellow glint on an attack, then um, then that means that you can parry it. If it is a red glint, then that is unblockable. Um, and I can't readily tell the difference. And so there are a few other things in there where they try to make those different, where there's like slightly different shapes. But because you are, you're looking at your character and the incoming attack to know like when to time this parry or is some other enemy attacking me or some of, you know, is there other things happening along the way? And so it is color-based because you're meant to be able to see it out of the corner of your eye and go, oh, and know if it's one or the other, you know, uh, because you're, you may be looking at the HUD. You may be looking at this. You may be looking at that. And so because of that, like the, the one of them being like a triangle and one of them being a square in the like half second that they're on screen doesn't fucking help. <laughs> um and so, yeah, so I streamed it uh, last week and got to a point with it where I was like, oh, shit, like I can't tell what the difference is. And they've they've got colorblind options in there, but I, I they're ridiculous for me, I guess I should say, uh, you know, maybe for some people that's the perfect colorblind option. And they're like, oh, now I can play the game. And, and uh, you know, everyone's different when it comes to like colorblindness is a weirdly personal thing. If, if you're not aware of that, it's, there's a bunch of different types of it and it's strengths and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's fucked. It's fucked. Um, and mine is not usually bad in a way that matters. Like, you know, maybe it'll make something slightly harder, but half the time I won't know. Whatever. Whatever. Um, but the, the options in there for changing colors on things are, are like, oh, I can desaturate the background and then turn up color saturation on doors and interactables and, and so on and so forth. And that doesn't really help. And it actually doesn't change the, it doesn't change the glints on the attacks. So you're just like, oh, God damn it. God damn it. Um, and so that's very frustrating. And, and that made me want to stop playing the game. Uh, because I, I was just, was, was every, every boss fight, uh, and even some of the normal enemies have those types of attacks as well. Uh, but it was something that just like, um, gets in the way in a lot of those fights to the point where I was like, uh, maybe they'll fix it. Maybe they'll do something later. Maybe if I just wait, um, they'll, they'll do something about it. I don't know. Um, but uh yeah i i found that to be pretty pretty frustrating um but it got me thinking about accessibility and and you know there is this big uh slant towards accessibility lately and it, and it's been great to see um you know especially these big you know like the the big first party games just having all of these crazy options and 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 all of the different things that that publishers are now doing from an accessibility perspective whether it's you know the specific controllers that have come out for Xbox and PlayStation or just the, the variety of options that get included in there. But I don't feel like anyone has really done anything for colorblindness on that front. And, and I don't, you know, I don't like, I'm not like, when's my turn to get the accessibility stick broken over the head of these games? Like, I, you know, I don't know what to, I don't, I don't know what, how to really feel about that. Cause it's just never been, 
it's never been an option. The idea that someone might care about it enough to fix it is is still relatively new. It's still you know something over the last like ten years or something that that companies have even tried to tried to address anything resembling colorblindness. But most of the time when they address it, it's bad. Um, for 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 me again, maybe there are other people with types of colorblindness where they're like, oh, this is the perfect setting, and now this game's playable and. And all that other stuff, but um, I'm curious to see. I, I haven't, I have not seen Tekken Eight yet. Um, but supposedly they reworked some of their accessibility stuff based on the the feedback from the demo. I'm kind of curious to see what that ends up, what that ends up being. But um, but yeah, uh, Prince of Persia: The Lost Crown. It's out. I, I it is out everywhere now. Um, they did a three days early thing. If you bought the the full price version, it also kind of ignited. Maybe not a conversation so much as a conversation with myself uh, around value and pricing and a lot of those things because the game is $50. If you want the deluxe edition, it's $60. If you wanted to play it early, you needed the deluxe edition. And, you know, it's a meaty game for its type, for it, for its side scrolling search action. You know, like when we're looking at the metroid dreads of the world the axiom verges of the world and and some of the other games that we kind of think of as high watermarks in that genre um in terms of our count and value and all the other stuff like it kind of lines up with some of the pricing on some of those other games but it, it just i don't know something about it felt something about it felt expensive and then yeah like i think everyone kind of remembered collecting like oh yeah metroid dread was full price and why did that feel okay? And why does this feel iffy? I'm like, mm, yeah. Eh. Um, I think that's an interesting, you know, I, 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 the pricing of these kind of smaller games is at a really interesting place because I think, you know, we're, we're seeing some developers try to push the boundaries on that a little bit and push the, that price up. Um, and they should, you know, like every, you know, fucking everything's more expensive now than it was 10 years ago. I, I, you know, like the, the triple a games are boosting in price at some point, the smaller games should be able to, to do that. Like, I, I think that people should be able to make money on games. Um, that's bold. I know. Um, but also everything goes on sale so often now that like there are plenty of options for people who do want to wait and find a deal too. It's, it's, yeah, it's, we're at a, I guess my point is we're at a really weird spot with pricing. Um, and I wonder, you know, we probably won't, as long as they're selling, we certainly won't, but you start to wonder, you know, this $70 price point for the big AAA games that then also have uh you know six seasons of battle passes and 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 all of this other stuff that they're trying to monetize on um you know does any should it should anything change there i think maybe it should but will it no absolutely not because what they do is like oh well we can get you in the door for 70 we'll get as many people in the door for 70 dollars as we can before we cut that price and then for people who care about that price, they'll wait and they'll, uh, they'll get it for 30. They'll get it for 40, whatever they end up getting it for. Um, and so 
as long as everyone is happy, you know, as long as the games still sell in millions of copies, the, the Call of Duties of the world and, and all that sort of, as long as they can still get $70 for Call of Duty in week one, why would they charge less? You know, they might put that on sale earlier and they put it on sale pretty early this, this time around. But I think for the last couple of years, they've been willing to price cut Call of Duty um, like it'll, you know, ship October and then Black Friday, you'll find it for $10 off and, you know, you'll find it in some digital sales for 20 off or whatever. Uh, and, and those sorts of things. And so I don't know, like the, the price wiggles around even for, even for those big games. Not that it helps call of duty getting to the news here. Matt Piscatella of Circana, uh, who you may know better as NPD. They've tracked sales in the video game industry in a lot of sectors, I guess, for a, a very long time. Uh, and uh, Mr. Piscatella posted to, well, he posted to Blue Sky as well. He posted to Twitter. Um, kind of the, the company put out their slides. I used to be able to get access to all of this data, like down to the like the full charts of monthly sales data. Uh, and seeing like that, like, oh, two people bought this copy of this Wii U game or whatever. And, and, and it was always fun to see the full charts back in the day. Um, this was, I guess, before the Wii U was out. Now that I'm thinking about it, when I did have access to that shit. But um, nowadays they tend to put out top 10s or top 20s or really kind of reduced, uh, you know, uh, looks at what sold. And uh, they put out the the month of December, but also perhaps more importantly, put out the year in video game sales. We have here the, this is a chart of the 2023 year top 20 games, physical and full game digital from the Nintendo eShop, PlayStation, Steam, and Xbox platforms for publishers in the digital leader panel ranked on dollar sales. Now, what that means is they can track the physical sales. They've been tracking that for years. When digital sales came along, I think it fucked up a lot of the sales tracking for a lot of things. And a lot of these tracking tools became a little less relevant for a time. NPD regrouped and found ways to get access to, you know, the like publishers or whoever to sign on to provide their digital sales data from these digital storefronts. Um, now this does not include Epic for what it's worth. And in addition to that, um, there are some cases where digital sales of Nintendo first party games are not included. So think about that when you think about where some of these games are on the, on the list and wonder in your head where a game might've shown up if it was the full picture of sales. Uh, number one, best-selling game for 2023 Hogwarts legacy. Um, which beat out Call of Duty. That's kind of the story there, is that Call of Duty, except in years where Grand Theft Auto has shipped, Call of Duty has been the number one game in sales for uh, a long time, and now it is merely number two. Um, we have Madden in number three. Spider-Man 2 at number four. Tears of the Kingdom at number five. Now remember... This these first party Nintendo games are not tracking digital sales. So that means that purely the physical sales of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom 
was strong enough to make number five. So if that was, if that did include digital sales, where do you think that would be? Would it be number one? Would it move up to number three? Would it move up to number two? You know, like, I wonder where that would go. Nintendo does not contribute sales data to to this service. And so we don't have that information. Um, you know, they, they want to keep, they want to keep the sales close to the vest and whatever. I don't know who cares. <laughs> uh, other than, other than the makers of this chart and people want to track industry trends and all this other stuff, this is the best they can do. So, Hey, it's in top five. You can imagine it would probably be at least, they probably would have beat Spider-Man two. If not Madden hmm. adds a multi-platform. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of switches out there. Who knows? Who knows? Um, we also don't, yeah, we, we, yeah, Nintendo has said 20 million total, but also this doesn't include the number of sales. So without getting, uh, details on how many copies call of duty sold in full year 2023 or, or whatever else, um, yeah, maybe we could walk through that information. There was the leaked Spider-Man two st- well, that was before the sales. Yeah, anyway, and number six is Diablo four. Which uh, I guess shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, the Diablo franchise is a long-running one and, and insanely popular. It makes sense that Diablo would be one of the top-selling games of the year. Uh, I wonder... I don't know. Diablo feels like it fell off so fucking hard. So hard. Um, somewhere around... Somewhere midway through season one, it felt like all talk of it just flattened out. And then the next time you heard about it was it, it launched on steam and people were review bombing it for whatever reason. Um, and so like, that's, I don't know. Uh, at number seven is, uh, call of duty, modern warfare two. So the 2022 game, which, you know, is going to continue selling through the year, of course, because call of duty doesn't come out until, you know, October or November. And so they're selling the year before his game for that entire year, all of that other stuff. So, so Modern Warfare 3 is the number two game. Modern Warfare 2 is the number seven game. When you filter all those together, the way they, they have combined those clients now, I wonder if there's a distinct difference between... Eh, there probably is because the, the, the hard copies are... Anyway. At number eight is Mortal Kombat 1. Um... Mortal Kombat 1, but the Mortal Kombat franchise is always a big seller. It is probably the best-selling... Well, I don't know. We, maybe if we take worldwide numbers, maybe things would be different, right? But in, in the United States, anyway, and I think in the United Kingdom, Mortal Kombat is pretty perpetually the best-selling fighting game. Um, Unless you're one of these, like progressive fighting game players who considers arena fighters to be fighting games. Maybe that's a, maybe in years when smash brothers comes out, that's a different thing, but smash brothers, it's a different thing. Uh, at number nine, star Wars Jedi survivor at number 10, EA sports FC 24 really just rolls off the tongue, huh? I mean, fuck FIFA, but like, just write the word soccer on the box or f- footy or, or pitch or goal. Like put a soccer word, put a soccer word on the box. Pele, go get a guy. 
Go get 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 me a ham. Get who's a soccer player? Go get go go find a picture of Pele and tape it to the front of that box and say Pele presents EA Sports FC 24. Put it or just write the words. I know what FC fucking stands for. Football club. That's not much of a help. Like what the fuck is a football club? Do you mean a soccer team? Can we is it EA Sports Soccer Team 24? Write a soccer word on the box. Important soccer words like Capri Sun or soccer ball goal goal uh don't know call it ea sports you can't use your hands unless you're the goalie 24 and then sell a ten dollar upgrade that lets you use your hands think about it think about it i don't know i mean all all kidding aside i i just EA Sports FC 24 just seems like kind of a fucking crummy name. Um, FIFA was just a much more identifiable term. I just feel like there's a more identifiable term than FC that you could go with. Um, But clearly, I mean, the people who give a shit about a soccer game are finding it because it's the number 10 best-selling game of the year. So whatever. And number 11 is Starfield. So that's, you know, that's despite the game being on Game Pass, it is still the number 11 best-selling game of the year um, on PC and Xbox there. Uh, at number 12 is Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Again, that's physical only. Uh, at number 13 is Resident Evil 4. At number 14 is MLB The Show 23. Which apparently does not include, and that doesn't include digital sales for Xbox or for Switch. So that's physical sales across. Remember, MLB The Show is a multi-platform game now. Um, and f- yeah, for for whatever reason, this does not include the Xbox sales or the Xbox digital sales or the Switch digital sales. And that, yes, that game is on, that game did, was that game on Game Pass this year or just the first year it came out? Did they put it on Game Pass every year? Anyway. Um, that's interesting, you know, with those two platforms removed that it is number 14 on the list. I, You know, the the thing I'll say here, not to spoil the rest of the list, but NBA is not on this list. And if you would ask me, like, which sports games make their way into the top 20 selling games of the year, I probably would not have picked the show. And I probably would have picked NBA 2K. Um, not that I, that's not a statement on NBA 2K's quality. I know people are incredibly angry about NBA 2K every single year, but um, but yeah. At number fifteen is Dead, Dead Island Two, um. Which I, I guess I would not have expected to be a top 20 seller, but here we are. At number 16 is Final Fantasy 16, which just makes sense. At number 17 is Street Fighter 6, which we know sold, I guess, what? Well, that was like 2 million copies in its first month. 
And then just recently, I think they announced that it had sold three. So if we want to try to, and that's, that's worldwide sales though. So we can't, I don't think we can necessarily back into, um, a sales figure that easily at number 18 is Elden ring, which sold some copies there through 2023. Uh, at number 19 is Mario Kart eight, which again does not include digital sales. And at number 20 is Minecraft. Minecraft still out there, still steadily moving units one way or the other. People are buying Minecraft. Um, so yeah, uh, the, 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 the note that they have here on their list is inclusion of digital sales data in the best selling title charts is done at the discretion of the participating publisher. So, um, did these, did these publishers report or not? Uh, some people are saying, where's Alan Wake to Epic? The Epic store is not a part of this list. It is again. So, so console sales would have theoretically been reported um, but it is physical and full game digital from the Nintendo eShop, PlayStation, Steam and Xbox platforms for publishers in the digital leader panel so that's publishers that are that are part of their specific subset of publishers that will that will give numbers to NPD or Circana I suppose um which at some point you have to start wondering, okay, if there are that many caveats on this list and also the list doesn't necessarily come with a list of what they don't include, um, then what's the point of the list? The point of the list is that we do get a good idea of like, hey, these games probably... Like uh, the, the top five on this list are probably, in fact, the best selling games of the year. Certainly, like a Baldur's Gate is not represented here. Um, and that would probably be somewhere on this list, presumably. Based on w- what I heard about some of the numbers they were doing. Um, and so you end up with a list that has like Elden Ring on it and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, um, a handful of other, you know, there's, there's also, they, they have some engagement numbers here that I won't necessarily, uh, read the entire list of, but they're breaking out December engagement by platform, which I haven't looked at in a while. Um, top three on PlayStation five. See if you can guess what they are. I'll give you, I'm sorry, no, we'll, we'll do, you know what, we'll do top five. Top five on PS5 in terms of engagement, monthly active users for December 2023. Um, You did it. You did it. You got it. Number one, Fortnite. Number two, Call of Duty. Now, remember, this wraps up last year's Call of Duty, this year's Call of Duty, Warzone, like all of that is now one application. That just launches, so they just refer to it as Call of Duty HQ in the list, which is funny. Uh, number three, Grand Theft Auto Five. Number four, Roblox. I bet you forgot that Roblox came out on on uh, PlayStation Five, didn't you? 
It did. And number five, Marvel's Spider-Man 2. NBA does show up on this list. Power Wash Simulator is at number nine. Uh, it's ranked the month before number 318. I assume that means it was a PlayStation Plus game in the month of December. If I, I, I believe that was the case. Uh, Lego 2K Drive must have been also because it made its way up to number 14 from number 652. Uh, Siege is on the list. Destiny 2 is at number 18. Overwatch 2 is at number 19. NBA, two NBA games make this list. Uh, 2K24 is number 7 and 2K23 is number 20. And that's for the month, again, that's for the month of December. So in the month of December, there are still people playing 2K23. Because fuck it. Rocket League is on this list at number 15. Um, and so that's PlayStation. I believe we have, what do we have? We have Xbox and we have Steam. Yeah. Uh, the Xbox story is not that different um, in terms of, again, monthly active users, according to, again, Circana LLC, who you may, you may know of as NPD. Um, again, and, and these numbers look like they haven't changed in a while. This, they were the same in November as well. Uh, number one, Fortnite. Number two, Call of Duty. Number three, Grand Theft Auto. Number four, Roblox. But number five is Minecraft. So. Uh, number six is the finals, which I thought was interesting. Um, I don't believe the finals made the made the final cut on the PlayStation list. Let me double check here. No, it did not. Um, Goat Simulator 3 is number 7 up from 245, so I don't know if that was like a Games with Gold or what the, or maybe just made its way to Game Pass or what happened there, but Siege is much higher on the Xbox list than it is on the PlayStation list. Uh, Madden shows up here. Remnant 2 shows up here. Destiny 2, Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2, more plat- more popular than Destiny 2 on Xbox, but less popular than Destiny 2 on PlayStation. Halo Infinite makes its way onto this list at number 19 under Destiny 2. Madden 23 is at number 20, whereas Madden 24 is at number 10. So a couple of Maddens. Um, and then engagement on Steam, which th- this list is about to get blown to shit, I'm guessing, by Pal World. Uh, but over on the Steam monthly active users list, Lethal Company is number one. The Finals is number two. Counter-Strike 2, number three. Baldur's Gate 3, number four. Ready or Not, number five. Cyberpunk at number six, Call of Duty at number seven, Rocket League at eight. Rocket League is a really funny one. Rocket League being the number eight highest engagement on Steam when Rocket League has not been sold on Steam for however many years. The 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 number of people I see, whether it's on my friends list or like the number of people that I know that are Rocket League players that still play it on steam even though at some point they tried they really wanted everyone to migrate over to the epic store and i think they were even like we'll give you some extra stuff and and like none of the none of the stuff that they're like i don't know that you can buy microtransactions in the steam for maybe that maybe there's your secret uh because that stuff doesn't go up in the steam store at all so you might not be able to buy anything any add-ons for rocket league if you're playing the Steam version, maybe that's a secret benefit. I don't know. 
Um, Battlebit Remastered is on this list. Grand Theft Auto V is at number 10 on this list. Rust is on this list. Warframe is at number 18. Vampire Survivors is on this list. Warhammer 40k Dark Tide is in the top 20. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's interesting to see the differences between the 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 PC and the console lists, whereas like I feel like the top four or five of the console lists are relatively locked in. Like, yep, you got your Fortnite, you got your Call of Duty, you got this and that. Obviously, the Steam list is not going to have Fortnite on it. Um, which it would probably be, if not number one, then it would it'd probably be pretty high up on this list if this included the Epic Store numbers. But, uh, alas... Um, it does not, uh, Matt Piscatella, who again is, is represents Circana. He's the executive director and a video game industry analyst over there at the, the old NPD now known as Circana, um, says that spending on video game content was 1% higher in 2023 than it was in 2022. He says that's driven by a 13% increase in digital premium download spending on console platforms. So 13% higher digital sales on consoles this year. And that all led to a 1% increase in overall number and overall money. Um, it's funny when you think about it, you know, the, when we think about 2023 in that context of, of people discussing it, like it's one of the greatest years in gaming. 2023 might be the greatest year in in all of it could be the greatest year in all of gaming, um, but it's certainly in the conversation. Blah, blah like like some of the discussions that we've we've had about 2023. What did that amount to? A one percent increase. And what are the top five games on consoles? It's Roblox. It's Minecraft. It's Fortnite. You know. Um, yeah, maybe it's not a fair comparison because 2022 was still kind of a little bit of pandemic era. And so some of the numbers are going to be juiced by that. Maybe maybe that's a maybe that's not a, a 100% fair year over year comparison, so. Um still uh interesting. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the kind of the overall Industry outlook, I guess, as we go on. Um, but in other news here for a bit, Halo says it's this. This is look. Everyone has to eat. We all you got to keep your job. I get it. Okay, let me back up. Halo Infinite is moving away from the seasons model over to something that they are calling operations. And they've spun this as saying, like, yeah, if, if you played Master Chief Collection, then you're probably familiar with this with what this is. We'll have a free 20 tier thing. And it sounds fine. It sounds like they're transitioning the support of the game uh, away from that seasonal stuff and over to, like, maybe slightly lighter updates. And you're like, OK, well, th- there's still updates, but they're not going to charge you for a battle pass. They're not all this other stuff. They are continuing to work on the game in some form even as they maybe start to look at what's next, which for the number of years that game has been out doesn't necessarily seem completely out of line. Um, 
and and you know the way three four three kind of pitches it is we're making a shift in how we approach the game. Uh, we're no longer referring to seasons. We've got a dedicated team working on Halo Infinite and continuing to deliver going forward. But yes, we also are working on brand new projects, so on and so forth. Um, the number of people, the, the the number of headlines I saw that were just like Halo Infinite cuts seasons. They were like Halo Infinite is done with is is done like. And you is 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 the operation stuff going to be the same level of support the game has been getting? Probably not, but it feels irresponsible to write headlines that are like that where the implication is like three, four, three is not going to make any more seasons for the game. We're not going to support any more, any more seasons. There are no more seasons. Um, as opposed to reporting the full change, the number of places I saw that being reported that way. It's disingenuous. It's, uh, it's gross. And again, I get it. Everyone has to eat. You're writing these stories. You need people to click on them. You need you need to keep your job. Um, but it's a bummer um, to see that stuff written in that way. When this is like a again a, a fairly normal transition for a game like this to be going through this many seasons in, and so on and so forth. And I anyway. Uh, yeah it says every yeah video games chronicle broke it down a little bit yeah 20 tiers of free unlockable rewards every four to six weeks is how the operation stuff will end up working in some ways that sounds pretty good because it means you're not out there buying a premium battle pass and you could theoretically buy their premium battle passes that they made before because they don't expire which is nice so you can chip away at those at your leisure this sounds like an okay change for a game that got to a point finally where people were talking good about it. This feels like an okay transition. I don't know. Like painting it as if it's the end of the world is, is just kind of, kind of crappy, kind of crappy. Also kind of crappy. Mm. Maybe more than, maybe more than kind of crappy. Riot is laying off 530 people. Uh, yesterday they posted a statement over on their website. Um, that they are laying off around 11% of the company. Um, and they're spinning this so that it's interesting because they, they posted the letter that they shared with employees because it would leak anyway, which is smart of them, I suppose. Um, but in terms of like how they are intending to, uh, move the company forward or, or whatever, like the, the idea here, the way they are pitching it is we are refocusing on fewer high impact projects that move us towards a more sustainable future. Um, and then they say, this isn't to appease shareholders or to hit a quarterly earnings number. It's a necessity. Over the past few years, as Riot more than doubled in headcount, we spread our efforts across more and more projects without sharp enough razors to decide what players needed most. The adjustments we're making aim to focus... The adjustments we're making aim to focus us on the areas that have the greatest impact on your experience while reducing investment on things that don't. 
Um, And then they go on to say that they are doubling down on the games at the center, meaning League of Legends, Valorant, Team Fight Tactics, and Wild Rift. And they say that their plans are more ambitious forever. They're prioritizing those teams so that they can focus on content for those games. Expect events, modes, and long-term roadmaps that lead to vibrant and hopefully multi-decade futures for these games. Um... And they, they give a little lip service to Arcane and KDA and the, T, the team, uh, team Fight Tactics Open and, and some of the other stuff that they do around the games and saying that that stuff will continue. They also mentioned Project L, the fighting game, as something that is still continuing. They say Project L has been making great progress and working, working for more opportunities for you to try out the game. Um... But they are also shutting down the Riot Forge operation, which was basically like them working with uh, indie developers and saying, hey, do you want to make League of Legends adjacent projects from an indie dev perspective and, and so on and so forth? So Bandletail, a League of Legends story will come out, and that is going to be the last Riot Forge project. Um. And that's kind of it in terms of the, in terms of where the company is headed, I suppose. Now, the letter that they sent internally, um, is, you know, like, and they posted it to their, again, because they knew it would leak, they posted it to their website and so on and so forth. And so a lot of it's about like, when, how long will you have healthcare? And, um, They'll they'll give they'll potentially give people a laptop if they don't have one. Um a visa support for people who need it. Like like that sort of stuff. So like I will say in terms of the benefits they are offering people on severance, I have seen a lot worse than this. Um And uh I'm kind of yeah, it, it's the as CEO, I'm accountable for the changes we're making and where we're headed in the future. So I think it's important for me to share how we got here and how the next few days will work. Um, basically says, you know, in 2019, they started placing more bets across more different parts of the company. And basically we doubled, you know, the, the way they're, the way they're spinning this and the, the, the way they're stating this is uh, we doubled in size and we started working on a bunch of meandering shit that, you know, isn't good enough. So we're cutting it and, and, and sticking to the stuff that's making money. I think it's a gross little turn of phrase. I get why you might write this and why you might feel that this is the case. But to say, as CEO, I'm accountable. Okay. Oh, okay. So what are you? You taking a taking a pay cut as part of this or I mean you know clearly this was a strategy you signed off on to double inside you didn't accidentally you didn't like wake up one morning and go how many people work here oh shit like you know like you deliberately took the company in that direction you deliberately said we're going to grow because interest rates are low 
interest rates are low, so these are the bets we're going to place. And now you're saying, yeah, these bets I signed off on, maybe a couple of them we were right on, but not these. And so now a bunch of people are going to lose their job, but not me, because I got more bets to place. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any way to make that stuff sound good, right? Um, but to call yourself accountable when you're laying off 500 people, I think is when, when like, nah. I don't know what the answer is there. You know, like, do do you do you force CEOs? So the, the thing, the thing I always come back to: why do executives, whether they're CEOs or people in big decision-making positions? Why do people in those positions continue to work for bad companies? And this isn't necessarily saying that Riot's a a bad company across the board. A lot of companies are laying off right now. Um, Why do they stay at failing companies? And it's because they're being paid to do so. They're being paid to try to fix the problem, whether that's for the shareholders or the board or, or who, you know, if they did not pay those executives that kind of money then they would look at this and go oh fuck it i'm out of here like i could i could sit here and try to fix this problem or i could go work somewhere else that doesn't have to deal with this problem you know and some ceos have been with the company for decades and decades and they have a lineage and they have a you know they do care about you know the individual company or if not the people ideally the people as well um And yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the CEO is brought in to go like, hey, we know this company is fucking doomed. Can you find a, can you find someone that will buy it? Can you, if you can get over this amount of money, we'll give you a bonus on the sale because we don't even know if we'll be able to get that much. And so, you know, the the reasons that these people are brought in are the reason these people sometimes stay on at companies that have to do deeper, deep cuts, deeper cuts than Riot. But like these failing organizations, because they're like, well, no, this is a problem that someone has to solve it. They're going to pay me to solve it banks when the banks were failing why didn't all the executives just fucking run for it and it's because they had all those golden parachutes and all the other stuff it's a shitty system i'm i'm not saying that the system is good but when we look at the system and the way it is currently built and people always say well why didn't the ceo take a pay cut that's why that's why because the ceo would just leave and go work somewhere else um You have to pay people to fix problems at the end of the day. And then, so how do you get a new CEO in on the other end of it? If you're like, Hey, do you want to come in and, and uh, the, the, the term I always come back to this, this wasn't a person in a CEO position, but it was a person, it was a person that had taken a company or, or, you know, had been part of a team that had taken a company from being perceived really poorly in the marketplace and helped turn it around perception wise. And, and it was a company with a ton of internal problems and, and political issues. And, and, uh, a number of people were there that kind of were able to cut through that and fix things. Then those people left and it all got fucked up in the exact same way again. And now it's like that again still, but, but point being, it was, it was something that, that stuck with me. He said, you know, sometimes you just, you need to surround yourself with people that know, 
that what they're in no that know what they're in for they're like hey like i'm gonna hand you this big shit sandwich and, we, and that was the the term he used was and and, and basically saying like we're all going to eat our way through this fucking shit sandwich until we get through the other side and we're going to fix this fucking thing and you have to pay people to do that again i you know i don't i don't think that that's the only way the system can run it's probably not the best way a system can run it's not a fair way for the system to run but it's the way things run and you have to pay those people when they're in those positions of like, Hey, fix it. Um, and I, I think about that a lot, uh, a lot more these days too, when it comes to, to all of this stuff. And, um, I thought about it a lot, a couple of years ago. I was just like, eh, how much of this shit sandwich? Anyway, Anyway, um, That doesn't, you know, again, you know, that doesn't make it any easier for people that are losing their jobs and all of that other shit. And I think that the way that the way that CEOs get to place all these bets and then, and then just have to write like a really somber email when things don't work out that way, um, is, uh, unfortunate, you know, how do you get these people to have more skin in the game one way or the other? You know, because at the end of the day, the, the skin they have in the game is like they either get bonused out or they don't, right? And and it probably does cost them some amount of money on their overall compensation. They're just like, oh well, we we miss these targets, and so ten percent of my, you know, fifty percent of my salary, whatever it is, is wrapped up in in bonus. And so that's I didn't get thirty percent of it because we didn't hit our numbers or, or whatever it is. Um. That's why you have to be smart about, you know, I, I think a board of directors has to, has to be smart about setting numbers because it, it can't just be the simple like P&L of just like, hey, were you profitable? Because that leads to a bunch of bad decisions around like, well, we cut a bunch of costs by laying off a third of the company and now we're profitable. Yay. Like, you know, like that's not as much as everyone tends to reduce it as like everyone only thinks about the next quarter. It's not quite that simple. It never is. Um. But fuck that. I mean, it, like it all sucks. Like the point being, it's a shitty fucking setup across the fucking board. Um, and at the end of the day, 530 people lost their jobs as a result of this. Like it's also, I just to back up a little bit here and I can't obviously speak to this. Are you telling me? The company that makes League of Legends can't find a more graceful way to do this than this. And again, you know, their benefits are better than some of the other layoffs I've seen recently. I will will give them that. Are you telling me that League of Legends is not turning a profit? So when you say... This isn't just to make a quarterly number. It's a necessity. Okay. So it's to make an annual number. Like it's to make a quarterly. You know, like clearly it's to get, you know, you're worried about profitability on, you know, and, 
And if the projects aren't working out and you don't want to invest in new projects, then at some point, yeah, you need fewer people, right? If you're like, hey, we placed bets on these smaller games. It didn't work out. So eh, we're not going to we're not going to place another round of bets. So we don't need the people that were working on those projects. And so, you know, like, like, yeah, like that's going to end up being the story across the industry. And it already is right. Like, hey. Money sure was cheap a couple years ago, right? Boy, we sure did hire a lot of people. We sure did buy a lot of studios. We sure did invest in a lot of this. We sure did spend a lot of money doing this because we thought it was going to be like this forever, right? The dumbest fucking thing on the planet. The idea that the pandemic led to this is... Um, stupid. When the numbers were extremely good engagement-wise a couple of years ago, and everyone was like, gaming is massive. Look at that. Gaming is huge. Anyone with half a fucking brain, meaning no one who works in the investment community, was able to look at that and say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, no one's going to work right now, so there's more time to play games, but eventually everyone's going to go back to work and then the numbers will probably go back to something resembling normal. And instead of saying that, everyone instead said, fuck it, man, we're hiring up, baby. We're going to double in size. We're now, we're, we got three teams in-house now instead of two. We're working on all these other projects. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then just the fucking bottom dropped out from under it. And you're like, what? motherfucker what did you think was going to fucking happen did you think that like the good times will last forever like are are these guys doing fucking bumps of coke off their own toilet seats at home because they work at home now like like what the fuck are these people doing you stupid motherfuckers why did you think it was gonna it was never gonna be like any sane person could have told you that hey, this uh, this um, these monthly active users on this largely entertainment based medium uh, that are are skyrocketing during a pandemic that requires everyone to stay home. Um, eventually, everyone not everyone's going to stay home, and yeah, maybe some things will change and people will work from home and never go back to work and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, like the the numbers are going to have to you know like we're we're gonna you know like like th- this. If we're at 2x right now, maybe we won't go all the way back down to 1x, but it'll be more like 1.2 instead of 2 or 3. And instead, it's 1% large. Anyway, um, it's it's wild. Um, but that's that's the story of the stock of any kind of investment. Anything is like the there's no long term. It, it, it feels like at times and I, I don't I don't travel in that world, so I don't know why it's broken that way, but it sure always feels like. Hey, uh, people still keep making these dumb, like short-sighted mistakes over and over again, don't they? Like every time the money looks good, they just become blind to reality and just go like, the money's great and it's going to be great forever. I just, I just, is it, is it because the entire system is broken? And if you don't go along on the train, if you are not on the fucking hype train to fucking Cokeville, then well, you're just uh, uh, these bears in the market. Or well, leave them out in the cold. Fuck them. You know, like disgusting, disgusting. 
and they'll probably you know like like as they make these cuts like the the thing we'll we'll get into here this is gamesindustry.biz has a really solid article from yesterday that you should go read it is called game industry leaders braced for up to two years of pain 2024 will be a year of closures warn senior bosses um and these people would not go on the record with their names because they're the head of companies and all such stuff and they can't be seen out there going like oh yeah everything's fucked you know like like it just is not going to work that way um And so speaking privately to gamesindustry.biz, Christopher Dring wrote this article over there. Um, Basically says that uh, publishing development and investment heads have said that continued high interest rates, oversaturated video game stores, and cautious investors will result in more restructures, layoffs, and closures. Uh, One CEO of a public company told us, if 2023 was the year of layoffs, 2024 will be the year of closures, not just developers, but publishers, media, service companies. There are just too many unprofitable businesses in video games. We're looking at up to two years of pain. Uh, Some investors that uh, they spoke to expect interest rates to come down, which will stimulate more investment, but not until later in the year. And there's a quote here from an angel investor saying uh, there are far safer ways to invest your money than video games, although it's not the only industry facing this issue. This quote, I think, says it all right now. And this is we've been we've been here before we. A leading VC added, why take a gamble with a games company when you can just stick the money in the bank and earn five percent? Right. Like that's if if gaming is going to be in this trench for some period of time here, then why would the investors invest? And I've heard a lot of well, I've seen a number of people out there wringing their hands, like small studios, super small studios that have been getting ready to you know that are that are in between games that are just like okay, we're starting up our next project and we have to figure out we have to go out there and pitch our project. We need money to do it. And realizing that that money's not there. The same way it was four years ago when they did it last time. You know, like maybe they just shipped a game or shipped a game six months ago and they're ready to to get some pitch decks out there and and all this other stuff. But everyone is significantly more cautious now. Um, Which when you look at the where a lot of. All of those other economic indicators are you start to understand like why things would would maybe be that way you know there's it's more than just the market but vcs go through this fickle shit all the time i remember man this had to have been 2010 or something i'm trying to remember exactly when i had this conversation but it was someone who was in in biz dev and the story I heard at that point, you know, it was like investors are sick of the web. They're sick of internet businesses. They're sick of media businesses. They're sick of video game companies, except for the ones that are excelling at selling like packaged goods and, and all of that sort of stuff, because that feels like a more real business. Like basically the idea was the general vibe amongst investors out there was that they wanted to invest in real shit shit that had real foundational fucking ground under it, like coffee at the time, 
that's not how it's going this time. But at the time, it was a lot of like, all right, everything online, all of this internet shit seems like it's just fucking fake and and built on uh, quicksand. Um, and so we want to we want to go after something that you know, like people are going to drink coffee. People are going to not s- just stop drinking coffee tomorrow. They're literally addicted to it. We should invest in coffee. We should invest in this. We should you know, like things that that people are going to need. Um. This time around, it doesn't feel like that. This time around, it doesn't feel like investors are saying, ah, this video game stuff is too shaky. We better invest in something safer, though this VC does say, why not just stick it in the bank? That VC is not going to stick it in the bank. That VC is going to go out there and fucking bet on AI and make some fucking... So, you know, you start to wonder, why are companies, why do we see Square? Why do we see all of these different publishers trying to have some kind of story around what they're doing with AI because investors will listen. And if you're, if you're coming to an investor and you need money, if you need capital, which square is not necessarily out there raising money, but they do answer to shareholders who want to feel like the company is at the forefront and going to move forward. And they don't care about games. They care about money. It's why we saw all the fucking NFT fucking Web3 bullshit a couple of years ago. And in some ways, it's why we saw the big bump in VR investment for a long time, too. Because it felt like the newest latest. And people want to invest in the newest latest if they're going to be a part of this stuff. And people want to know that if they're investing in you, what's your what's your answer for uh, for AI? What are you doing with AI? So if you if your pitch... If you're out there pitching right now and you're like, what's, what's your, what are you doing? I'm making a survival game. You get, you start by punching this tree to get sticks. But by the end of it, you've built an entire civilization. They're like, what? I stopped listening 10 minutes ago. What the, get the fuck out of my face. But if you're like, we're building a world where you build it from the ground up, assisted by cutting edge AI that will lead to rich lifelike characters in your world and AI determined roads and pathways. And they're all being determined by their, that's like, Oh, oh really? Oh, hmm. like practically talking about the same pit, the same game pitched different ways. Right. Um, and so that's why we'll continue to see more of that shit because it's literally, you'll, you'll see, smaller developers and smaller companies that are trying to find a way to survive that are contorting their pitches into ways that help that make sense. The same way we saw with all the blockchain bullshit um, that never really went anywhere. I don't know if, will the AI shit go somewhere? I, I think there will be some form of, of genitative, genitative content that will, will land on some happy medium that, no one is really happy with, but, but gets used anyway. Um, somewhere in there, whether the lawsuits all settle on the, you know, is open AI legal is, you know, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people say that like the kind of mid tier, low, low middle tier budget games are you know, like getting investment for those, getting funding for those right now is fucking impossible or damn near impossible. And so when you scale that up to the biggest company, like they're feeling that they're, they're feeling those market forces in different ways than a 12 person team might, you know? Um, 
And so they're likely to respond to it a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, it is kind of the same thing. Um, here's another quote from someone that gamesindustry.biz just bills as a publisher boss. Too many games were greenlit in 2020 and 2021. We need to get to pre-pandemic levels in terms of the release schedule, and that's probably going to take two years. You can already see publishers signing fewer games. That's happening everywhere. The stores are saturated, not just Steam, and the games just aren't delivering the levels they were. Um, uh, another, another. I said, I guess this is another person at a publisher with the way that they're they're writing this. Another quote here. The expansion and investment over COVID has left engagement-based businesses, not just video games, spread too thin. We're doing too many things that aren't delivering. Um, and then this is the one, this is probably the quote that we were talking about. We've been talking about a little bit over the last few weeks as it relates to kind of just the games that are out there on now. A VC added competition isn't the biggest factor in this current situation, but it is a challenge, especially when you consider how much disposable income people have at the moment. It's also not just the number of new games you're competing with, but all the old games and live service games that are there and doing huge numbers. Um, and so again, like, we see a game like Minecraft. We see a game like Fortnite sitting at number one on the engagement charts for December for PlayStation 5 and Xbox. And so if you are putting out any kind of action game, any kind of shooting game, any kind of anything game, everyone is still just playing Fortnite and the ones that aren't are playing Call of Duty. And then the ones that aren't are maybe playing Destiny or maybe they're playing Siege or maybe they're playing, you know. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to do in that situation if you want to launch something new that is still relatively adjacent to that? And so you have a bunch of people go like, well, we'll make it a live service game and then we can promise X amount of revenue for the next 10 years. And well, yeah, oh yeah, 10 years. That sounds, I like a long tail. Let's go. And then, you know, but then they find out that that space is much harder to navigate than before. We've seen, we've talked about it. Live service games that have failed out of the gate. Whether it's your Marvel Avengers or games that felt like they were on top of the world that are now struggling like a Destiny 2. You know? Like, even, even the games that you think of as established are still in a situation where fuck, man, if everyone's just playing Fortnite, Roblox, and Minecraft... Is that all of them? I feel like I'm missing one. Um, what are, what are people going to buy? What are they going to spend their money on? And how many people are out there spending that money? Yeah, Power yeah, Power World. Yeah, sure. Power World has sold 6 million copies. How is it going to sell 60? Is it going to sell 10? Is it going to sell 30? Is it going to sell, you know, and how long will it be selling those copies? Is this a flash in the pan thing that, you know, are they going to be able to turn pal world into some kind of thing that people say? Yeah. GTA. That was the one I forgot. GTA. GTA five. Is 
the other game that that makes its way into that space. Like League of Legends is certainly big. Dota is obviously, you know, like Counter Strike is bigger than Dota, and League is bigger than Dota, I guess, but um, not quite in that space. But sure, yeah, yeah, League of, League takes up a lot of time, you know, in a different genre. So if you're out there trying to make a, any kind of action strategy. RTS, anything adjacent to that stuff, you got to sit there and go like, well, you know, it's, it's why we had the fucking big MOBA boom that the bottom completely dropped out of, you know, I, it was just last week we were, I mentioned Heroes of New Earth, like, the, you know, the, the fortunes of those games and everyone chased that too, the same way Battle Royales got chased, but now that's thinned out a little bit and all along the while of the, of that Battle Royale craze, you know. Roblox was still off to the side being Roblox. It's not a battle royale. It's just out there making money. Kids love it. What happens when those kids grow up? Do they play other games? Do they grow out of Roblox? And do they suddenly say like, well, I love to play hundreds of hours of video games, but I don't want to play Roblox anymore. So I've got to buy this, 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 and this. Do they turn into tomorrow's consumers? Do they consume at the same level? Do they spend at the same level? Or do they go, Roblox was free, and occasionally my parents gave me some money to spend on Roblox, but not that much. So you, if you're asking me to go out there and spend $70 on a video game, my answer to you is double middle fingers, and I downloaded Fortnite. I don't know. I don't know, right? Like, that's that's the... That's the, that's the problem. Uh, the, the good news here, again... Again, we're talking about this this uh, gamesindustry.biz article. Um, that is basically saying, you know, that uh, 2024 might may be the year of closures as opposed to the year of layoffs. And I don't know. I thought there were plenty of closures in 2023. So I don't know. Boy. Um, but a CEO that they spoke to does say investment hasn't stopped entirely. You're still going to see money coming into games. You're still going to see established people with a good business plan, setting up new teams. There is opportunity. Lots of successful businesses are born during moments like this. And the situation is temporary. The games business is built on very solid foundations. And when things do start to grow again, we would hope to see a more sustainable and wiser video game industry emerge on the other side. Yeah. uh, I don't know about wiser. The game, the game industry will learn a thing or two about live games, and it seems like they kind of are, right? I wonder how many more of those we get. Um, you know, Suicide Squad is out in two weeks. No, it's out next week. And I, I, uh, I, I, as I've said for the past couple of weeks here. I really want to play this Suicide Squad game. I really want to know. I want really want to see it for myself. Um, at the same time, and and maybe it will buck the trend, right? I, I don't want to write it off because the game's not out yet. I don't. I don't want to be a dick about it, but. Uh, yeah, there is the word of mouth on suicide squad has been fucking poisonous for months, months. It can't possibly be as bad 
as that word of mouth is, right? Because if it was truly that bad, I, but wait, but what? Yeah, what if it is? Holy smokes, what if it is? I anyway. Um, I'm very curious to see that game, but also like live service games. You know, obviously Sony tried to make their their way into that space. They acquired Bungie. They said we've got six of these things, or we want to have twelve of these things out in the market by whatever fiscal year 2025 or whatever the hell the the time frame was and then it wasn't that long ago that they were backing off of that and being like well yeah i don't know we did an assessment of this and uh, half these games are bad or you know whatever the the situation was it seems like that they have that they have backed off of of that thing of, of of that statement quite a bit jim ryan on his way out is it related to that i don't i'm not gonna speculate on that it may have just been time for Jim Ryan to be like, I, it may have been time for Jim Ryan to say like, you know what? Really tired of eating this shit sandwich. Um, but <sighs> clearly something is going to have to change in terms of Like, like no one's going to green light more live service games. Are they like, like that? If, if the game industry is going to learn a lesson, it's that right. It's that, Hey, you know, we just watched naughty dog bail on, uh, this multiplayer last of us thing because they didn't want to turn the studio into a game as a service studio because they knew that it would absorb the whole thing. We've seen the story time and time again of how, just how many resources it takes to fund that game for 10 years or how, you know, to, to really deal with all of that sort of stuff. And, um, and we don't want to do that either. And we, we shouldn't do that. And we shouldn't get into this space because we don't think we can compete. Like at the end of the day, this pitch is good, but it's not going to be the next Roblox. What the fuck are we doing? You know, like, like whatever it is, right. You know, like how, it just feels like the live service thing has to end one way or the other. Um, and, and not to say that it, every live service game will go away or anything crazy like that. It just feels like the, the live service thing will make sense for certain types of games. And I think that the, for those types of games, they should continue down that road. There's nothing inherently wrong with that format. But if you are banking on that format and your game is bad... It ends up taking the studio down with it, right? I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, because you're like, okay, launching is just the start of the fight, and now we've got the next 10 years to five years, whatever, and however long supporting this game, and these are what our numbers need to be, and then week three, you're like, oh, shit. None of this hit. Oh, no. Uh, No one knows our game exists because, oh, shit. Turns out people like Roblox. Fuck. Fuck. Um... So I, 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 but I imagine that there has to be some kind of recalibration in terms of just the projects that get greenlit and, and all of that sort of stuff. We'll still see some more live service games. I'm sure that some, you know, got, got greenlit and, and made their way through and, and all that other stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. It, it feels, I guess that's a, a very long winded set way of, of saying, a lot of things feel bad right now. 
and I don't, I don't blame. You know, it, like it, it's. I think some people want to pin like and go like, oh, fucking Roblox, and, and like try to blame Roblox. Like, there's some stuff around Roblox and the monetization of Roblox and the the tools and and all of that sort of stuff that is really nasty in terms of how people make money on Roblox, how kids spend money on Roblox, and the oversight there. I said it not that long ago that there's. It, it feels like there's probably some kind of reckoning that will head their way. Um. There, there's it just Roblox has like fucking angry senator written all over it. You know, it's like I got letters from my constituents that their kids spent five thousand dollars on Roblox, and then turns out it was all pornography. What that can't be right, can Roblox come here and explain yourself? Like it just feels like that. There's like something. Of just like, I don't know, I gave my kid 15 bucks and then I walked in the room and he was in Sonic the Hedgehog was humping shadow. I don't know what I'm even looking at here. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Ro- Roblox seems fucking incredible. Roblox seems incredible. It's, you know, it's, I don't know, second life all over. I know, I don't know. Uh, I also find it totally impenetrable. Um, I have a nephew who has played quite a bit of Roblox, and sometimes I think about just like getting him on the phone and being like, walk me through this, man. Because um, I signed up for it when I when I heard that he played it. I was like, oh, I'll finally download this thing and, and get a look at it. And someone I used to work with went and worked at Roblox for a while. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like there's a bunch of very smart people at Roblox with a bunch of traditional games experience and, and all that other stuff too. And, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a, it just feels very, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, and that's kind of what Fortnite is trying to turn itself into, right? When, when we look at the, the, the Fortnite model for making your own games and all that other stuff and how developers are making their own money on the back of Fortnite, like that is them trying to push into uh, a very similar, space um and so in some ways that's like the level up from live service game right of just like oh we no, we're a platform now now other developers make games on our tools inside of our what used to be a game that now we just keep calling a platform until everyone just says that naturally and believes us um the journey of Fortnite from fucking tower defense game, like four players against a horde to what the fuck it is now. It's really wild, man. It's really fucking nuts. Um, and that's, that's it for, that's it for the news. Um, a data miner is out there saying that uh, Death Stranding 2 may be referred to as Death Stranding 2 on the beach. It's according to Video Games Chronicle. I wonder if that will end up being the like the name of a demo for the game. That that doesn't Um it's someone with a pretty reliable track record in the space and 
you know, because of, so, since they're data mining, this sort of stuff ends up showing up in places usually relatively near term before something is announced, before a pre-order campaign is started or whatever. I imagine they're scraping like PSN storefront data or, or whatever it is for for this sort of information. And so as a result of this information showing up, that comes along with a prediction that the product may be announced sometime in the next 15 days. Um, but generally speaking, this Bill Bill Coon data miner is uh, apparently quite reliable uh, in, in the space. We have referred to this person before and they have been accurate in the past. So take that for what you will. I could see on the beach being something that is a demo of the game that they use it as a, like a, here's the on the beach demo and then here's the full game or, or whatever it ends up being. But They should just refer to it as Death Stranding 2 OTB, and then you you strap a baby to your chest and then go bet on horses. Just a big horse betting simulator. And then the horse can poop on you. And then Sam Porter Bridges lays down and says, do it! And then the, the horse poops on him. Let's just come back around on that whole thing. Let's just come back around on that whole thing. Ah, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I <laughs> fucking I, death stranded. Ask me anything about death stranded. Um, I guess in in uh, in in relatively, let's, let's say this isn't even necessarily games adjacent, other than the release of the next WWE game was just announced for March. And all of their cover athletes and all this other stuff. That I man, I I wish I liked those games, and and I I play every single one of them. Um, because when you when you look at it on paper, you go like, oh man, they're adding the ability to have special guest referees, and you can make your own custom referees now. That's fucking bananas. And then you see like bullet points like there are over two hundred characters in this, and you're like, yeah. That's that's a lot of that's an opportunity for a lot of weird wrestlers plus all the created characters plus all the like all of that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, I just don't want to play it. At the end of the day, the part where you pick up a controller and manipulate a wrestler and do stuff, I find to be uh just just painfully dull most years. That said, I'm sure I will try out this year's game as well. I can't stop myself. Uh, there's just so much in it. And they're doing a bunch of WrestleMania shit, which they 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 did a whole WrestleMania game before. It almost sounds like that they are uh, maybe re uh, rehashing some of the ideas they had for their Legends of for that Legends, Legends of WrestleMania game where they uh, you had video packages of like reenact all the great moments of all 40 WrestleManias or whatever it is. In kind of adjacent wrestling news, Netflix is going to be the home of WWE's Monday Night Raw as of January 2025. Um, in a deal that Netflix or, uh, that is being referred to by Reuters here as a over five billion dollar rights deal. Uh, and that is for the U.S., Canada, Britain, and Latin America, among other territories. Um, 
Netflix, okay, so this is something I had not seen. Outside of the U.S., Netflix will exclusively telecast all WWE shows and specials, including SmackDown, as well as pay-per-view live events. So currently, all that stuff is split up across, like, Peacock has a lot of the archival stuff, and uh, what is it? So... SmackDown is currently on Fox, but it's going to move to USA. And now Raw is going to move to Netflix. Um, Netflix has the ability to wiggle out of the deal five years in if they don't like it. They also have the ability to lock it in for an extra 10 years if they really like it. And yes, NXT is moving to CW, which I'm sure Billy Corgan was stoked about. Um it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I think it's, you know, the, there is a lot of talk in the wrestling space around these television rights deals and the amount of money and the ratings that they get. And what are those ratings numbers worth and how much money is this worth? And, Oh, I think the ratings aren't what they used to be back in the nineties and early two thousands. These ratings were fivefold what they are now or whatever it is. And boy, these ratings are sure shit. And people seem to forget the part that ratings for everything on television are absolute shit compared to that stuff because people just don't watch television the way they used to. And the people that are watching these pre-recorded shows are choosing to do it in a streaming format, more on demand, uh, more frequently than like, oh, it's nine o'clock. I got to go. We've got to go watch the new episode of Moonlighting. Like that's just, no one's fucking doing that. And so live events, live sports specifically uh, are the things that are bucking those trends because sports ratings are fucking massive. And with WWE, you get a sports-esque rating, not in terms of numbers, but you do get a live event style rating. And you get it 52 weeks a year instead of 13, 16, whatever the footballs, however long a fucking football season is now. Um, and so as a result, you end up in these situations where you like, if you go look at the raw ratings number and, and you compare it historically to what it used to be back when Stone Cold Steve Austin was the big guy and all this other bullshit, you go like, man, they're in the shitter. You're like, no, everything's in the shitter. It's still doing really great. Like that fucking AEW show was number one on all of cable last week. And people are fucking constantly doom and gloom about AEW and, and, and all this other stuff. And it's, it still will end up number one in the ratings sometimes. I, it, like, I just, I just think wrestling fans need to just fucking sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up when it comes to talking about how fucking doomed everything is. And, and all of this other stuff It's like, nah, like raw has been a dog shit television show for a long time. It's too long. It's been way worse than SmackDown for a good long time. Netflix is going to give them like $5 billion for that fucking turd. Five fucking billion fucking dollars, dude. <laughs> uh, is somebody, yeah. So this is the other question that I thought of was, uh, uh, recyclable size says, does this mean no commercials? I'm going to say probably not. 
it probably does not mean no commercials because there will be parts of the world where the show airs where uh, there will still be commercial breaks. And so I am guessing that they will still, you know, maybe they'll have some package that they show to the Netflix audience. Um, but also Netflix does have an ad supported tier now. So Netflix would probably love to have something that they could sell ads on. Um, and so I, I am guessing that the programming will still be built with advertisements in mind and they will just find a way uh, to give something of zero value to people who pay for the ad free tier. Um, yeah, this will be Netflix. Netflix's first like massive, f- like push into live programming. They did a live thing with, um, yeah, the, 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 the Reuters story notes here that, that they did a Chris rock special that was live. I remember hearing that that was fully broken. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't try to watch it live, but I remember hearing that that was, that was not uh, an amazing experience trying to watch that live on Netflix. But, uh, and I guess they do some formula one stuff. Oh, that's just sports related programming. That's not necessarily live. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting because this, this has been kind of like the, the, you know, what's going to happen to television. Um, and, and as we've seen like football games, like it still feels wrong to me. Um, and it's probably just because of how old I am or whatever. But there's something about the idea of just like Amazon has the football game that just feels wrong to me in a way that that you guys go like, man, the NFL seems like it's a bigger deal than that. Don't they deserve to be on a big network and not on Amazon? Like that sounds low rent. And then you're like, oh, no, Amazon is paying fucking scads of millions of fucking billions of crazy amount of money to to do that. It's. You know, they are making more money doing that than they are going with like fucking NBC or whatever. Um, And we're at a point to where more and more people are. That was always remember when the WWE network started up and. uh, if, If you were watching wrestling when they were starting up their streaming network and all of the programming they were going to have on their streaming network and all of this other stuff. If you remember what they had to do to try to get people to understand how that worked of like, how do you subscribe to this? What do you do? Like, they're like, no, it's nine 99 and you get all the pay-per-views. So it's, it's, you're an idiot if you don't sign up for this because they had, and wrestling does still have this like older, you know, like this older demographic watching it. Um, and the worry was just like, how, you know, how are we going to get grandpa to understand that he has to go to the streaming box and not turn on channel four? You know, how are we going to get these people that have been turning on their television for decades and decades and decades the same basic way to now turn on a television that presents them with a fucking screen full of bullshit apps and then they need to find the fucking app and they need to do this and get over to this. And I, uh, and I think what the answer is like over the last couple of years, like that shift, like whatever the, the, the age has changed, you know, the, the people that are in their fifties are now people that are, you know, able to do this sort of stuff where maybe 10, 15 years ago, the people that were in their fifties then were maybe not, uh, 
maybe on the other side of some technology divide or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Clearly enough people now fall in the other bucket that they're not really worried about it. That they're just like, whatever, if you want to watch our show, you'll figure it out. If you're setting your ways enough to where you need to watch Monday night raw, you'll find a way to get it or, or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's, that's interesting. I just bought, I, so I mentioned the top of the show, my, my kids are sick again. This is just get used to me saying that my kids are sick for the next year and a half. I think is probably how it's going to go. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully less, but you know, my, my daughter goes to school. The, the, the teacher sends out emails to all the parents that say, thank you for not bringing your sick children to school. And then my daughter goes to school one day and, um, immediately gets sick. And, uh, anyway, because of all the juggling and moving around and all this other stuff, my son is currently upstairs in his room. Um, and he's two, so we can't, we can't just let him run around cause he can open the door and he'll get into all sorts of trouble. He'll fall in the toilet. It's just something we can't just let him run around. So he's in his little pack and play, his little, you know, crib thing. And we needed to have something for him to do. And, uh, you know, he, he plays with toys just fine. And I'll give him some toys and all that other stuff. But yesterday I bought a television for my two-year-old son's room. Which feels like a fucking bad thing to say out loud. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to move it out of there when he's not sick, basically. I don't think, I don't think it's a permanent thing here. But, you know, that when they're downstairs playing, the TV is on. And they're, you know, they're watching, uh, my son just recently got into bluey big time. Um, and, um, they're both into the, the 2018 reboot of Muppet babies at the moment. And we've thankfully weaned my daughter off of the YouTube nightmare children, um, and and drilled it into her that like these kids are these kids are naughty children they are uh they are rude like there's whole videos where this girl is like stomping her feet and, going, hmm, and just acting like shit and you're like don't no don't don't fucking watch this god damn it anyway we weaned her off of that shit and um and so, so that's, that's done anyway. Yeah. This, this Muppet babies, I gotta say this Muppet babies reboot. I didn't know it existed, uh, until recently, but, um, it's pretty good. Jenny slate is the new miss nanny. I mean, you know, and Jenny slate is no Barbara Billingsley, but I do like Jenny slate. Uh, and so that, that shows me anyway. So just, you know, for the hours while I'm doing this program, we needed, you know, we needed to have him up there because he can't get the baby sick and all this other stuff. So it's like, there's a lot of like kid moving around right now. Um, and so he's up there watching, like I'm literally watching a camera feed of him watching TV. So I needed a cheap, shitty TV. That's where I'm actually going with it. I was like, why am I telling you? This? Oh, yeah. Um, I just needed a piece of shit TV that I could put in that room, and it's not going to be there permanently. It's going to be in. It's just going to end up in the goddamn garage. Um, and so I bought a TCL 
from the Best Buy for like 130 bucks. It's like a 32-inch 1080p TV. It's a and it's a Google TV. And it is the we talk about like older generations that need to like use televisions and and all of this other stuff. It is a 1080p TV. It is not a 720p TV. That was I there were I could have gotten a, like a, a a slightly cheaper TV for that was a 720 TV, but I I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't do it. Like it's got to be at least 1080. What the fuck are we doing? Um but I think there was like a 720p TV for like 99 bucks or something. There was whatever. Um So this thing's got Google TV built in and um it's fucking terrible. It is a miserable experience. Uh it is it, you know hey, it's a $130 TV, you get what you pay for. It, but also actually now that I'm saying this out loud, the expensive TVs are not much better. It is, the interface is the most sluggish garbage piece of shit thing. And so the idea that like we're going to get generations of people that are used to hitting a button to turn on the television and hitting the channel change button to change channels and all of that sort of stuff. And then suddenly be like, Hey, here's the most sluggish non-responsive interface in the world. Every time I push a button on it, I go, did I, did it register? Did it break? Did it, is this thing locked up? What the fuck's going on? Like, I think there's going to be a generation of people that are just going to like, ah, the damn thing's broken. Cause I practically do that. It's such a bad feeling experience. And so currently up there, I've got that shit box television hooked up to a fucking 4k Apple TV. Cause that is responsive. At least, I mean, he doesn't touch the remote, but I have to go up there and turn it on and I, I want it to work. God damn it. Um, and I was going to say, oh, well, yeah, it's a cheap TV. Of course, it's terrible. But these, these fucking LGs even, like the interface on these things is not much faster. You know, and the number, you know, like all these Google streaming sticks and fire cube, you know, like all of this other shit. The cheap Rokus, the Roku Express, like all of that sort of stuff, like they all feel like fucking trash. Um... It's frustrating. I don't know. I, I like interfaces should be snappy. I, I think I, I believe that about it. Any, any interface, it should feel like it's doing the thing and you should, you should signify to the user that something is happening as opposed to, I push the button and it's taking a long time to move to the next thing. Or I push this button to launch this app and it's just sitting there at a black screen for a really long time or just a spinning a spinning logo that I'm like, did this lock up? Did this, did I crash my TV? What the, what the fuck is going on? So, you know, like that, that TV is no longer connected to the Wi-Fi or anything like that. I I did. I connected it up and took the firmware update just out of curiosity, but it's so terrible that I was just like, no, I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to log into my Google account on a fucking TV. Have some fucking dignity. God damn it. So I plugged it's I had an Apple TV laying around that I don't use, so I plugged it in. Um so I just I don't know, like when I think about the future of television and when I, when I think about the 
uh, the older generation that is keeping like linear programming alive or afloat or whatever. Um, and, and as that continues to go away, um, we get into these scenarios now to where like WWE 10 years ago might've been a little afraid or a little more afraid to fully go on to a streaming service. Whereas now the money is quite good for them. Uh, and the demographics have probably shifted just enough to where it's something they don't have to worry about quite as much. We'll see how they message it in, you know, late 2024 or early 2025 when, uh, when it comes time for them to say like, Hey, I know you've been used to watching this program on USA and you can watch SmackDown on here now, I guess, but, uh, this thing's going to Netflix. So start paying for a Netflix subscription. And if the Netflix subscription ends up including all of the WWE network back catalog and stuff, like maybe that's a compelling offer, but the very idea of as someone who does not have a Netflix subscription, the very idea of like, I've got to sign up so I can watch Monday night raw. Like, Hmm. No. <laughs> uh, the Peacock deal will expire. Maybe they'll renew it. But I, I feel like at some point, if you've got all that stuff split across multiple services, the idea of. Because it's not like WWE is segmented in such a way where you can just watch part of it. Like Raw and SmackDown are sort of different and all of that other stuff. But it all culminates in the pay-per-view or the premium live event, as they call it now. And so you're in this scenario where like, okay, so we've got the weekly shows. One is going to be on USA and one is going to be on Netflix. And then I also have to subscribe to Peacock. If I want to watch the storylines converge and come to a point at the premium live event, like that's not going to like, so I, I, I wonder if, if when the Peacock rights come up for renewal, if Netflix will make a play for those or if those will go somewhere else or if Peacock will go, no, we're happy having this even if we don't have Raw or I, I don't know. It's a bizarre it's a bizarre split of that product because to actually follow it to actually follow it properly, you are kind of, yeah, okay, so Peacock goes through March 2026, so that will be the case for a good long time. But I guess USA is still in the Peacock family and SmackDown is still on. So, you know, it's, it's the idea of there being two subscription services involved in watching that programming seems uh, like a bridge too far. But I guess you were supposed to be paying for basic cable. You're, you're supposed to be paying for basic cable to watch that shit now. Uh, cable. Hilarious. That's it for the news. Oh yeah, no baseball. Well, baseball used to be simple, right? I mean, baseball you would just you would get Directv, and you would sign up for the expensive, weird baseball package, and then you would wake up at like nine a.m. every Saturday and Sunday and start drinking, and then just watch eighteen hours of fucking baseball, and then suddenly it's dark and you're hammered. And there's a bunch of wings, you know, boneless, you know, there's a, a bunch of hamburger wrappers and wings all surrounding you. And you're just like, shit, the fuck are we doing now? Oh, the horse races are starting. Put those on. Great. Uh, and now, I don't know. Now baseball's even worse. Um, in terms of like trying to follow it. 
if you've got some emails, I've got an email box for you to stuff. It's podcast at guard.bike. Send some emails my way. Like some of these folks did. And we'll talk about them. Uh, Parker from Houston wrote in and said, I was wondering if I could get your opinion on this. Do you think that achievements as a meta layer in games have been used to their full potential? Maybe this is a me problem, but it rarely seems like achievements are unique, interesting, and challenging all at once. I realize I have no understanding of how or when achievements are designed for a game, but they often seem like an afterthought when they're essentially signpostage on story completion, overly repetitive, or influenced by randomness. I feel like this system could be used to encourage players to really engage with the game system in unique ways, but these types of achievements seem rare. Why? Is it just too hard to make achievements that thread that needle, or am I out of touch? It feels like a system that never really matured. Yeah, it's... Um, I... Think that achievements are really the 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 basic concept of achievements comes from the same place that the gamer score did. I think it is Microsoft saying high scores mattered in a weird way. Can we bring that back as a social thing and also have proof as a bragging rights sort of thing? Of yes, I finished this game. Of yes, I did this. Yes, I I uh, I did this extra bone. I finished this game on hard. I did this. You know, like the the little bits of like, oh yeah, no, look at my profile. I did this. You didn't do this. I did this. Like the shit talking amongst friends uh, type of social activity. I suppose. I think that's where that was all born out of. You know, what was them trying to trying to create something. Um, that try that kind of replicated the high score chase of early arcade games, but on a meta on a platform level across all games. And I think when it came to doing that, I think they did well, but I think that, you know, well, I mean, let's face it. Like Microsoft is not the, the leader, the market leader in consoles sold in, in, in users and, and all of that other stuff. And so I think their form of achievements makes sense in that context. You've got a raw number and you've got your per game achievements and all this other stuff on the Sony side of things and on steam and, and a lot of the other platforms that do that. The number is abstracted. You get your kind of trophy level, and you get your your you know your 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 profile level is 17 because you did this and you got and the different trophies account for a different amount of level and all that sort of stuff and i think by abstracting it it removes the thing that made it cool in the first place um which is that just straight up raw number that you can compare to and go like oh look at that whereas like you can look at that and go oh they're 400 points ahead of me i know i can get 400 points Whereas I think if you look at the PlayStation numbers and you go like, well, they're, they're level, they're profile level 22 and 18% and I'm level 21 and this many percent, like it's abstracted in a way. What they do do is they reward the notion of getting all of the achievements in a game better than Xbox does. The platinum trophy is a cool uh, addition to that landscape, um, but it's per game. 
right? And so it it only it only confers per game bragging rights, I suppose. Um, and I know, yeah, at some point PlayStation rebalanced their levels to try to make that stuff make more sense. And I don't I don't think it I don't think they did. I, I don't I don't think it actually solves the problem, which is that I think a raw number is easier to chase. It's easier to look at at a glance and go like, oh, okay, I need to do this. Oh, they got 80 points last night. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, they got two platinum, they got two silvers and a bronze. And what? Okay, well, I need to catch up with that. You know, it just, uh, and, and, you know, developers are not necessarily incentivized to spend a ton of time on achievements, right? Especially now that every platform, well, the Switch doesn't have them, but like, you know, like, like every platform basically has them. Steam, uh, the Epic Store, uh, PlayStation and Xbox, like you know, that stuff is 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 widely out there. The same stuff just ends up getting kind of strewn across all platforms when it comes to that stuff, um, and shoehorned into the different requirements that each platform holder has for for their um for their achievements. And so I think that that results in them being a little more genericized or a little more just like you know, it, it's not as big of a deal. Like people. You know, people are thinking about cool stuff to put in their game. They're not thinking about cool achievements. I think cool achievements are cool. I think they're fun, but they only work if you're invested in that platform and invested in that system. And I think there are just fewer people that are invested in those systems these days. In the early days of the Xbox 360, I felt like achievements were, were, I mean, I certainly was quite a bit, I, I was very into them. I still have more achievement points than most of the people I know, um, which is funny because like you know there was a whole generation there where i was you know playing most games on playstation 4 uh and most people still didn't catch up it was very funny um but also like the playstation 4 being the kind of dominant platform in the united states broke that system right because suddenly you're like oh well i'm i'm not sticking to the xbox like achievements are cool but they're not keeping me in an ecosystem if you know if the games run better over here or you know like covering games is you end up in a situation where like oh because the games run better here publishers are more uh apt to just send you a playstation code or a playstation disc as opposed to an xbox one unless you specifically ask them for one and the inertia involved you're like oh whatever um and so you end up playing games on the lead platform more often than not when it comes to covering games uh, unless you're going to play them on PC, which I, I I end up playing them on PC a lot more these days, simply because they often run better. Um, and so uh, I think all of those are weird factors that I think uh, helped to break the achievement system from in, in the generational shift, because more players seemed like they cared about PlayStation Four than cared about PlayStation Three, and they cared about PlayStation Four over Xbox One. Um, it, it kind of, it shook everyone loose of their achievement number. The people that, that did decide to, to cross over to the other platform or, or whatever. And, um, once you've done that once the numbers don't matter, it's why I wanted to build a system that was able to collect those numbers from across multiple platforms and bring them all together. So you could have your one true number, um, that, that totals it all up. It's not, it was not easy to do. Some places are still trying to do that. You know, GOG tries to bring in so many different platforms and so many different things. I don't think they necessarily do it with achievements per se, but, uh, they do do some of that stuff. Um, 
but at the end of the day yeah I, I think that stuff just broke and that stuff broke in a way that then i think fewer developers just cared about it you know it, it just led to a situation where it's like eh, you know whatever and microsoft they've issued best i've, I've read best practice documents or or just various things about here's how you here's here's what we find you should do with your achievements and having them lay out like hey here's the story of a game and you get one for beating the game and whatever like you should do that because you have room for 50 achievements so you might as well do that as well you want to have some number of them be things that people just encounter as through the course of playing your game normally Ideally, you want to have a few in there that are like, you know, hey, this these are going to be challenging. And so they're more likely to be like something that someone can feel good about, brag about, whatever, whatever. But that's, I don't know, that stuff just doesn't, that stuff doesn't resonate the way it did even 10 years ago, let alone 15, 20, coming up on, coming up on fucking 20, Jesus Christ. Um... And and so the 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 nature of the system just kind of became a little less valuable over time because of of because of those reasons. Randy in Portland writes in and says, "Before the Final Fantasy VII remake initially released, I saw a lot of Twitter posts from Zoomers asking if they needed to play the original Final Fantasy VII before the remake for the sake of context." Does one need to play the original to better understand and or appreciate the remake? They're such vastly different games in almost every aspect. How much do you think they even relate to each other? Well, I'm, you know, as your one-stop shop for all Final Fantasy VII related information, I'm glad you sent this my way. Um... So, you know, the when you're doing a remake, when you're doing even a, a sequel to a game these days, the the sweet spot you want to be able to hit is, hey, if you've played the original, you're going to get more out of this than if you didn't. But if you didn't play the original game, you'll still get plenty out of this. It will still work for you. Um, I don't know the answer to this question. I bet that if you didn't play Final Fantasy VII originally and you played Remake, you would probably have a fine time there would be some stuff in there that you would that might not hit as hard for you because you wouldn't know like oh Sephiroth why is why is this happening now this isn't supposed to happen until disc three you know like all that other horse shit um you know wouldn't hit as hard for you but it's a freestanding thing you know it 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 should it should still work for you I can't say that with certainty but I will I will say if it doesn't that's a problem with the game. If they are issuing a game in this day and age that expects you to have played a PlayStation one game in order to understand it at all, then they have made a mistake. Um, because that's a crazy thing to assume in this day and age. And so I, I think you could, the temptation is always to watch it in chronological order and not miss anything and, and do all of that sort of stuff. Right. That's, that's always the, temptation i think um our backlogs are long time is short fucking do what you want man go read a wiki page later play the remake and then go oh i guess that's why that was a big deal and it'll be fine um you don't have to go play some ancient role-playing game i don't care how many times that game has been remade and re-released you don't have to do it 
You don't have to put those hours in. Like, will it hit as hard? Maybe not, but what, that's on them. <laughs> that was always the thing about um, the Mass Effect games that Bioware was desperately trying to figure out, and I don't know that they ever really got there. I, I think they actually they got there in the in the wrong way, you know. Um, the Mass Effect sequels uh, were kind of burdened in a way by being sequels to a game, and so. By them getting out there and saying this trilogy, your choices from the first game matter, this matters, all of this stuff matters, and this is this is meant to be uh experience as a trilogy, like at some point you're limiting the sales of Mass Effect 2 to a subset of the players that bought Mass Effect 1. And so when Mass Effect 3 came around, they made a concerted effort in every marketing material they sent out. The number of emails and press releases I got that tried to build Mass Effect 3 as a great jumping on point for the franchise. Like, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Not enough people bought Mass Effect 2. This is a great place to start. Dead Space kind of went through the same thing. EA was struggling with this. Um, Like, like that, that tried to say that Mass Effect 3 was a great place to start the game. Because, you know, if you, if you don't have a save to import... They will generate choices for you and they will, you know, it'll, they'll, they'll, you can play that game. Um, but Jesus Christ, why would you? <laughs> um, and also I don't, I don't think Mass Effect 3 is a great place. It, it, Mass Effect 3 is not a great place to jump on and it's not a great place to stay on. If you played Mass Effect 1 and 2, uh, you could, you're good. You just, just write the end of the story in your head. Shepard fucked everybody and they all had orgies on the spaceship and they stopped the evil threat of the elusive man or, or whoever, you know, write, write your own, you know, pick your own bad guy. The genophage, the payoff for that was incredible. It was an hours long thing and this and that, um, um, Mass Effect Three. We killed Ashley because she turned out she was evil. Like, just write your own, you write your own better Mass Effect Three. You're it's, you're fine. You're fine. Just you don't need to you don't need to play Mass Effect Three. Um, but yeah, the idea that that game got marketed as like um a great jumping on point, and and but like but like that's the struggle. Like you're making this big budget game, right? You're in it, but it happens to be Mass Effect Three. It happens to be the end of a trilogy. You you can't sit there and say, "Oh, everyone's got to play Mass Effect One and Two because none of those people will do that. None of those people will buy Mass Effect Three. They'll be like, "Fuck this, dude! I didn't play those other games. Why would I play this one?" And so that's the inertia they have to fight against. And so they went out of their way to try to, you know, they did what they did to the opening of that game to try to make it something that you could jump on and 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 try to understand. Um, and it probably doesn't do a terrible job of that. You're just, but, but at some point, what's the point? Like, can you just play Mass Effect 3? I'm sure you can. Why would you do that? If you're not invested, um, then you, you don't, you know, you don't. And, and so that's, you know, but that, but that was the struggle that Bioware went through with that trilogy was like, how do we, both from a development perspective as well as like a marketing one is how do we express to people like you, you 
please just buy these games. Like if you don't, if, if the sales just keep going down, you know, whatever it is, then, then, then they're never going to let us make another one. Um, and so it's just a hard problem to solve. I don't know. Uh, I, and I don't think they solved it especially well, but, but I, I wouldn't know because I played Mass Effect 2. And so with Mass Effect 3, you know, whatever, I, Mass Effect 3 is probably a better playing video game in terms of the shooting mechanics and action and, and, and whatever else. Like it, it's a refinement over Mass Effect 2, which throws away some of the Mass Effect 1 stuff. Um, So it's one of those things where it's like from if you could take the gameplay from Mass Effect three, uh, the the refined shooting, like a lot of that stuff from Mass Effect three, but give it the compelling and seemingly vast story choices that Mass Effect two has, whereas Mass Effect three is just like, I don't know, push button to resolve story. Push button to resolve side story that you've cared about for seven years like, oh, this was a disappointing conversation. You were just standing here in this space station, ready to tell me this one thing that barely references a choice I made years ago. Yep. Cool. Thanks. Oh. I I wish the talking about Mass Effect didn't bum me out the way it does. It's draining. It's a great cast of characters. It's an it's it's an incredible universe. It's like the the story, the 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 setting of what a specter is, and like all just there's there's so much fucking cool shit in Mass Effect. The lore, the and then yeah, I don't know, yeah. <sighs> Mike in the United Kingdom. Right, so it says on the stories uh, for the last two weeks on a modern version of ET, uh, and it's stockpiling and game stopping pre owned sales. They do have a crossover. I worked for Game as a manager for a very long time, and there are two examples of the ET phenomenon happening. I don't know that these quite reach ET status when we think about the thousands of copies that had to be destroyed, but th- these were probably on their way in their own weird way. There's always anyway. Mike says, we had 29 pre-orders for this game, mid to low for our location, and ended up with 175 copies as they at the buying department thought that Too Human was going to be the banger of all bangers. We sold about half of the 29 pre-orders, and then I had to find a place to stick the other copies. Game, the meaning the retailer game, then fire sailed the stock as they did at the time and put put it back up to over the original retail price. Weirdly, this worked and always sold a few copies. Then it was out into console bundles and then back on sale. In the end, I remember this being one or maybe two times that they converted the stock to pre-owned and sold them through that way of just like busting open the copies and being like, I don't know, they're used now. Uh, he says, uh, let's see. The other was the PlayStation 2 Platinum version of Dragon Quest VIII, where we had 80, 80 odd copies that they knocked down to £1.98 in a sale. Then rivals at GameStation offered £10 in trade-in in, uh, in cash for them, and I made quite a lot of money. 
Sports Direct will kill game totally and have screwed a lot of staff and good people. It's sad that retail is on the way out, as I always buy physical myself. Thanks, Mike from the UK. Um, yeah, finding those weird deals where a game is getting blown out at one location and then you find another one where they are buying it back for like 10 times that amount. You're like, we're going to make some trips. We're going to make some money. Let's make some money. Um, Liam in Ireland writes in and says, I've been listening to old podcasts and occasionally you mention that people don't look up in video games. When did you first become aware of this and the ways that games guide players to look up? I wonder if people are any better about this now. So this was an anecdote. The people, the players don't look up thing is actually kind of a reference to, um, something that Cliff Blazinski told me about gears of wars. You know, they do the thing in gears where you hold down the button and it pivots the, and, and bullet storm does the same thing where you hold, you, you hold the button and it looks over at the thing. And it just pivots over and shows you the big thing. Um, so that you don't miss it. Um, that was that was where that originally came from. And I think there's, you know, more, let's not quite call it science, but I mean, I think there's a lot more evidence. Yeah, people in chat are saying that, that Gabe Newell said it about Portal uh, and, and so on and so forth. But it was... Um, but this this was always that that was always the story about why uh gears of war had the the like show me the thing button in in it because it would you would hold down the button and the the camera would automatically pivot over and you'd be like oh there's a fucking ship falling out of the sky i guess i wouldn't have seen that you know and and so they they put that in there specifically i guess because they were finding that players never looked up and so they would miss a lot of that type of those types of in-game moments um if they didn't call them out that way um but yes in terms of puzzle games and and a lot of that other stuff too yeah there's there's definitely uh portal is probably a a great example of just like i'm I'm sure over the course of testing that game they probably learned a lot about players and where they look first and where they look second and, and all of that sort of stuff you know i think that that makes a ton of sense um that like portal would be a game. They'd be like, Oh, no one ever looks up. I'm like, yeah, I guess someone wrote in and asked why the descent series failed. Um, or, or, or rather like failed to achieve like a mythical status, the same way quake and doom and unreal tournament and all these other games did. And I, I think it's, it, it's not necessarily because players don't look up. It's because like, it, but it's a similar issue of, I think players can't always wrap their mind around that 3d space um especially at a time when you know other games were doom and quake and all other stuff that didn't require you to think in those many dimensions um i remember getting lost in descent a lot before it finally all clicked with me and then it never you know it was never a problem again um like those games are tricky to go to. Yeah. Whether it's like low FOV or whatever, like there's just things in descent that are just like, it's hard to, like, I found myself staring at the map a lot in those games back then. Um, it's kind of an, an adjacent issue, I guess I would say. Um, let's see.
I'm clicking around here. See if we can find one last one here. Speaking of Gabe, uh, Brian from Nebraska writes and says, when Gabe Newell retires, who's going to take up the massive power vacuum when he's gone? Also, do you think that when Gabe leaves, that valve will change dramatically for better or for worse? I, I can't pretend to know, uh, you know, all that much about valves structure. I know that the flat nature of it, um, makes me think that, yeah, I mean, you know, like Gabe Newell, I'm sure calls a lot of the big shots and he, he's, he's gotta be the, the, the last hand on the bat, if you will, um, to solve any disputes or, or like, Hey, what, which direction are we going to go in? Like all that sort of stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know about the ownership of valve and what other are there other owners other than like what the, the structure of it is per se. So I I can't really say, um, what it would be there. Would his family, you know, like still own a portion of, you know, but presumably he just becomes a hands-off owner and he hires a CEO and that person run or promotes a person to run the company. And then he goes off and, um, Builds a real life portal gun. You know, I don't know. He builds a portal gun out of knives or whatever. See this Half Life Alex achievement that got put into the game uh, post release? I got it. I fired the game up not that long ago and got this achievement called Gnome Alone. I, I unlocked it on December 6th of last year. I don't know when it got added to the game, but the description of it is if you are reading this achievement, Gabe Newell has successfully launched Gnome Chomsky into space. Gnome mean G and G like a gnome, like a garden gnome. If you did not also receive the achievement manufacturing ascent, Newell has abandoned his plans to shoot Noam Chomsky into space. So I got that one, but not the other one. So I guess he abandoned his plans to launch the gnome into like at some point did they decide that they really wanted to launch a gnome into space? And then Gabe backed out of it, and so they gave, they they built achievements based around the old Half Life gnome. So you know we all know the game Newell can't follow through on the things that he sets out to do. Clearly, if he gave up on launching a gnome into space, um, but yeah, so I but yeah, I I don't I don't really know what the what the answer is because I think Valve is such a weirdly it's maybe not a weirdly run company. I mean, they're certainly not the only organization that tries to be like flat quote unquote, but, um, you know, they've been dedicated to that stuff in a, in a lot of ways. I, you know, people have more people, enough people have broken down the inner workings of valve and what it's like to work there that I, you know, I'm not the necessarily the go-to source for that stuff, but you know, it, it, the thing I always heard is like, you know, some people just don't fit in that environment and don't work out. It doesn't work out for them to be there because they don't, they're used to having more direction or whatever it ends up being or, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. You know, does does Gabe Newell ever step away from Valve and appoint? I, I assume what happens if if is that someone else is appointed to run. Someone else is appointed to run the company, whether they're promoted from within or uh, or not, uh, hired from externally or or whatever, and then he steps away from day to day operations. Like, I mean, that's usually and and you know he could still own as much as he owns and all that sort of stuff. 
so the, so the, 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 there are stories saying that Gabe did, in fact, that the gnome did, in fact, get launched into space. Well, I didn't get the other achievement, though. Because I did not get the manufacturing ascent achievement. I only got this gnome alone achievement. Which would imply... Okay, it says, if you, didn't, if you did not also receive the achievement manufacturing ascent, then Newell has abandoned his plans to shoot Noam Chomsky into space. Well, it's spelled differently. So when, he, when they say it the second time, they're talking about the, the person Noam Chomsky and not the gnome. So maybe he also intended to launch... Maybe he was going to launch both Noam Chomsky's into space, the garden gnome and Noam Chomsky. And he abandoned those efforts to launch. The... This seems like a very sick inside joke on their part. A very fantastic inside joke uh, on, on their part. And I'm sure they were thrilled about it when it rolled out into Half-Life Alex, And people started getting that achievement. Um... Let's take this as the last one. Um, Eric writes in and says, are you going to get that Atari 400 mini? It looks neat, but I don't think I can name a single Atari 400 game. So it would be cool to see you go through the games so I can see what's good. I I didn't mention it though. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention this in news when they announced this thing, but, um, but yes, Atari is making a small version of the Atari 400, which is their, uh, I guess their first home computer. It would be later followed up with the Atari 800, which really just has a better keyboard and I think more RAM. Um, it is the same hardware as the Atari 5200, which is perhaps just a little better known than some of the home computers. Uh, and then they're doing a mini console uh, that's going to come out in March. It's going to have 25 games built in. You'll be able to add more games via USB stick if you want to run whatever on it. It'll also emulate um, 5200 games and the other kind of stuff in, in that hardware family I guess is the the way of saying that um, the Atari 400 was my first home computer I um, when I think about it now uh, as uh, as as a man all these years later I now get weirdly emotional when I think about it um, I think that is because in 1982, when our house flooded, there was supposedly like six feet of water in the house or whatever. That Atari was the only thing of mine that I remember really surviving um, because we had moved it out of, of there before the flooding started, I think. I, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was, it was kind of like, it felt like the only thing I had. Um any toys, clothes, like just anything I had got covered in all the toys were just covered in just gray, murky mud water. Everything was disgusting. And, and a lot of stuff got thrown away. It wasn't salvageable. And, and, um, my Fairchild channel F for example, was smoked in the flood. Um, and so I, I, I just, it never really, was something I, I, you know, because it's not the first time I thought about this console or this this computer over the years, but something over the last couple of years, um, I don't know, you know, maybe it's having kids and, and thinking about 
my childhood compared to theirs and, and, and a lot of that stuff and how I was raised compared to how I'm raising them. And, and there's just a lot of, you know, weird stuff like that, that I find myself having a completely different reaction to now than I used to. Um, and it's weird. I don't really, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's something that as, as we've been kind of unearthing a lot of old weird shit on game boys to men and talking about like my teen years with Glenn and a lot of that stuff that there's, that's been, that's been similar of just like, man, like really thinking this stuff, really thinking about this stuff that was just always like, ah, oh, it's the, yeah, it's the Atari. It's the first Atari I had. Yeah. I don't know. Like these games are good in this game, but I, I, I feel a weird attachment to that thing now. And so there was something about them announcing the Atari 400 mini that really hit me um, in a really bizarre way because it felt, I guess I felt seen. I don't, I don't know what the fuck that, you know, like no one talks about the Atari 400, the Atari 800, like that era of computer, you know, everyone just talks about the Commodore 64 and that's, it's a great machine. Don't get me wrong. The Atari, the Commodore is it's a better game platform, but, but there is something about that machine that feels kind of lost to time and, and, and no one, you know, it doesn't really get the same attention or love or whatever. And so the idea that they are reissuing an Atari 400 with its weird membrane keyboard, it, it doesn't, you know, the, the keyboard doesn't work. It's, you, know, you have to plug in a USB keyboard if you want one, I think. Um, it feels like a weird dream because it feels like something that's impossible. It feels like something that would never happen. It feels like something that could never happen. And so there's something about the idea that they're doing it that just feels really fucking weird to me man um and and great and and in like a good way in like a you know it's it's when atari 50 came out and you know i knew digital eclipse like you know i knew that i know that the people there have some similar proclivities you know for for some certain games like when they announced that thing i knew and then they announced it alongside it but i I knew like oh well fucking clearly star Raiders is going to be on this thing. I know that they're not going to let this thing go out the door. If star Raiders is not a part of it. Um, and it's, you know, and, and minor 2049er is kind of the other one that, that just has this weird sway over me, you know, in a way that, that sometimes doesn't make sense, I guess, but, but it's, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, uh, so that thing's out in March and it's going to have like miners going to be on there. Um, they said star Raiders two would be on there, but didn't come out and say star Raiders one. There's a trailer that I didn't watch all of that. I think has a few more games in it, but um, yeah, uh, I think that's really cool. I, I really, I really want to mess with one of those. I, I am really excited for it. Um, even if it ends up, cause there are a lot of ways to emulate that platform now, you know, it's not, you know, there, there it's, it's, you can, you can play those games. I, I was playing some of those games the other day, um, on my mister, which runs that stuff really well. Um, and, uh, but, but I, I will easily, I, 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 I really want an Atari 400 mini. I really want to see that thing. Um, I really want to have one of those, even if it is something that ends up on a shelf after a while, because 
you know, because like I, like I said, there are other ways to play those games. Um, I, yeah, there's just something about that device that I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yes, that thing's coming out in March. Um, and I'm desperate. I, I, I really want to see that thing. I really, really, really want to see that thing. It's, uh, it's crazy. It feels crazy to me that it, it will exist, that, that there'll be, um, like a, a <laughs> that Atari, especially when we think about Atari's journey and how broken Atari has been for so long. I think the idea that they're making this thing at all is fucking bananas. Um, that Atari has gotten to a place where they can, where the Atari has gotten to a place where they can put something out that actually feels good <laughs> and isn't just like some desperate nightmare project of just like ah fucking Atari man. The idea that Atari is is making some good moves is really crazy, and it feels nice. Um, to have that logo associated with something other than the fucking blockchain, they I don't think they've still I don't think they've fully backed away from that bullshit either. Unfortunately. They're still like they sell merchandise on their fucking site. And it just recently there was like they were selling hoodies and like one of the hoodies you could only buy if you had the fucking NFT or whatever. And it was just like, ugh. You guys are so close to not seeming like dirt bags, and then there's this, and you just go like ugh. ugh. Um anyway, that's gonna do it for the show. Um, I am going to get going. Of course, we'll be back uh, later in the week with some more video games. I, you know, like if I end up streaming stuff tomorrow, would maybe I'll, I, everyone seems to be playing this pal world game. Maybe I'll take a look. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then Friday we'll be back to rank some more Nintendo games, which is very exciting. Um, and maybe we'll mix things up. Mm. Because Tekken will be out by then, won't it? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we'll make a shift and we'll do uh, Nintendo games on Wednesday and Tekken on Friday. I got to, anyway, I I can't commit to either right now. I got to figure out, I got to figure out the schedule, but that's. Maybe we'll do something like that. I don't know. Because Tekken, Tekken will be out as of Friday or th- Thursday night or whatever. So anyway, have a good one, everybody. I will see you soon. And I'll see you back here for the podcast next Tuesday. Have a good one. Bye.